Welcome to Game Face episode 207 at Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Here we are. We're using Zoom this week instead of Skype. It's uh I think the audio will be better. Um, I know Matt, who is here with us for today's show, his audio already sounds better than it has in the past. What's up, Matt Kyle? Hey, apparently how's it the, going? Apparently the program makes a difference. Yeah, I guess it does. Uh, also, Zoom lifted its 40-minute cap for multiple participants, so we're able to use it this week. Hopefully, they keep it that way. If we like it, we'll probably just end up paying for it because who knows how the hell long we're going to be dealing with this crap. It could be quite a while. Uh, so welcome to Game Face. This is uh, Sifted's flagship show. Uh, we're on Twitch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, it is our official podcast for all things video games. We talk about big games. We talk about big stories. Um we got some big stuff to talk about on this week's show. We're going to talk about the Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, which it might be the most anticipated game in quite a while. All three of us have played a ton of the game. We're going to have a great discussion on that. Uh, if you'd like to support us, please head to patreon.com slash sifted. Even a dollar makes a big difference for us. And right now our Patreon is in deep trouble. I'm not surprised because a lot of people have lost their jobs. And I do want to say I feel for anyone who's going through all this crap right now. I'm right there with you. I totally get it. Uh, but our Patreon is down because of that. And uh, we really need to lean on Twitch Prime right now uh, to kind of compensate for the lost revenue from our Patreon. Uh, so if you could jump over and resubscribe, or if you're on our stream right now, you're probably doing it anyway. Uh, but if you're watching this on Patreon, on YouTube, we really are going to rely on that here over the next few months while all this stuff gets sorted out. And I do want to say, thinking about all you guys. I know everyone's going through it right now, and it's tough, uh, but we're here uh, to hopefully help get you through these tough times. A lot of times, stuff like this can be a nice malady uh, to whatever you're going through in life, and hopefully, we can do that for you guys here with Game Face. So like I said, I'm Shane Satterfield. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. You can find Matt at MKyle, and you can find Mitch at Mitch Secor on Twitter. Give us a follow. You can follow the site at Sifted Games. If you watch most of our content on YouTube, I highly recommend following us on Twitter. <clears throat> Again, that's at Sifted Games. Also, if you're a Twitch Prime subscriber, you should definitely follow us on Twitter because we announce everything there. So if there's a new version of Pactor Factor that you can watch as a Twitch Prime subscriber, you'll be able to see it there. So again, please follow at Sifted Games on Twitter. And with that, let's get on with the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're actually going to start things off with something that broke live during the show last week. And we were kind of scrambling mid-show to try to get all the information and talk about it. And we're probably not going to discuss it as long as we did last week. But I wanted to talk again about the DualSense controller for the PlayStation 5. Now that we had a week to kind of ruminate on it and think about it instead of just kind of happening live and catching us off guard a bit. Matt, now that you've had more time to ponder the features and sort of the look and the design of the controller, how do you feel about it? Has your opinion changed on it at all over the last week? No, I mean, I still think it looks pretty much fine. Um, I like that it's a little meatier because I find the, the classic PlayStation controller design a little spindly and uncomfortable sometimes, depending on how they angle things on, you know, between, like, I think the DualShock 4 is better, uh, is an improvement. Um, as long as they keep the concave thumbstick uh, tops. Uh, I am a little annoyed that um, 
just like the current one, it looks like you are going to accidentally hit the trigger buttons if you put the controller down wrong because the triggers still sort of are the resting point. Yeah, that is um, horrible design on the DualShock 4. Yeah, so I don't know like, quite what the logic is there. It's like but, if I'm watching uh, like a, something on Netflix or YouTube or whatever, like I'll put the controller down, it'll start fast forwarding through like the video. Like yeah. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Yeah, it's um, not ideal. I also, I mean, I do, I don't particularly like the kind of the, the two tone look they showed, but I, a lot of people did like kind of recolors and stuff on Twitter and Reddit. Yeah, it's on all black, and it's really hot. Yeah, I think I think it for whatever reason they're choosing to show it the way they showed it, but like um, it looks to me like using using that that kind of layout, you can make some really cool color combinations with it. So maybe maybe for once I'll buy a different controller just for looks at some point. I haven't done that in probably three generations. Do you think it's a hint at what the console is going to look like? Do you think it's going to have like a black motif with like a white shielding on it, like the controller? I mean, it might. Like, I think it's also telling that there's no color on the buttons. Yeah. Um, you know, the classic PlayStation colors are not on the, the four buttons. So they might be going kind of a black and white minimalist look on this thing. I don't know. The buttons also look almost like they're countersunk on the face of the controller. It looks like they don't stick up a ton off of the face of the controller. Yeah, uh, they is... do. They do look like they might not be. Uh, they might not be um, raised too much. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I like to have a little bit of tactile feedback, but I'm sure it'll be different when we get our hands on it. And just to quickly run through the features, we did talk about this last week, but for the sake of this discussion, I want to go through them really quickly. Um, it has haptic feedback, adaptive triggers, and a built-in microphone. That's pretty much the new stuff mm -hmm. from the DualShock 4. Matt, is that enough? Because we, we, we received all these patents for the PlayStation 5 controller, and obviously patents are patents. They may not ever go into production, but there were some interesting things in those patents. Like One of them was, a, was kind of like PlayStation's uh, vitality sensor. It was supposed mm -hmm. to measure your heart rate in your hands while you played. That hasn't been announced. Do you think there are still features of the controller to be announced? And if they are, do you think it needs something more innovative to kind of stand out? I think there might be stuff we don't know about yet, but does it need anything? No. As long as it controls the character on the screen, that's all you need. Like, And honestly, the less, the less stuff like that in a controller, the better for me, because Otherwise, you're just driving the price up if you need another one, because that's why the Joy-Cons cost 80 bucks. Um, and like, how often are you really going to use? I mean, have I used anything in those Joy-Cons that caught, makes it cost 80 bucks for the whole time? Not really. Like, uh, I don't see the need because it's, it's just like the six axis thing. It's just like, oh, look what we can do. Cool. How about the games? You know, like, yeah. how about how, like, the only thing the six axis showed me back when the PS3 was coming out was how ridiculous that poor guy. Uh, Dylan Job looked having having a w wiggle it around to play Warhawk War uh, on stage, which they made him do. Um, I believe they implemented that in like nine days. The, yeah. That control scheme on that thing. I mean, um, they have motion controls on the DualShock Four as well. Yeah, um, I think it's more important. Think they'll get rid of those completely, or do you think they'll need no, them for I backwards think, compatibility? I think they'll keep them. I think they'll keep them for that, and also because like gyro aiming, I think is going to become more of an option moving forward. I don't use it, but a lot of people seem to like it, so it makes sense to incorporate it. Um, other than that, I don't think the controller is really a make or break as long as it functions properly. Um, yeah, you know, it's safe to assume that it will. Yeah, like, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, we still got our Joy-Con drift problem. <laughs> That's true. And I That's did true. go through three PS4 controllers this generation until the, the Pro. The Pro seems to have fixed whatever that problem was that I kept running into on the standard PS4 controllers. 
um, and my Xbox One controller almost blew up. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess the controller might be more <laughs> of an issue could than happen, I'm giving it credit for being, but um, I'm hoping that nothing will be explosive or um, break after a year. Those are my real my two criteria I'm going with. Yeah, I guess I would say I don't really have a strong opinion on it. Um, even when it broke live, like I went back and listened to it, and I noticed that I, my anticipation, my hype was pretty muted, to be honest with you. Um, you're, you were right when you said that it resembles, you know, as far as the form factor is concerned, it closely resembles the Xbox controller. Um, I didn't really have a problem with the four factor, the DualShock 4, or the Xbox One controller, so I'm happy with either. But I think overall, my impressions are that it's just meh. Like, there's just hmm. nothing really exciting about it. It's nice that there's a built-in microphone on it, so we don't have to worry about having a headset if we want to chat in-game. And hopefully, hmm. that will motivate more people to chat in games where you really need to chat, because that, to me, this generation has been really frustrating for me. As someone who does enjoy playing games online and does enjoy playing games with others, for people to not communicate the way that it has been for the last, like, six years has been really annoying to me. Uh, particularly for very specific games like squad-based games where you really need to talk to other people who are on your team. Um, so I'm hoping the mic built into the controller will encourage more people to chat. Of course, that's a double-edged sword. That could be a total nightmare, and chances are it probably will be. Um, but for the sake of being competitive in games, I'm glad that that's there. Um, the the rumble and the haptic stuff, like that's that's been in the Xbox One controller since launch. Um, so that stuff isn't particularly exciting to me. And I guess that's just what I would say in general is that the controller just isn't very exciting. Uh, you could see it too, because after the first day, there was almost no discussion about it anywhere on social media or whatever. So, uh, you know, if their goal was to create a story, create some excitement around PlayStation 5 with the announcement of the controller, I would say that was a failure. I don't know that that was their goal, but if it I was... I think they're just drip-feeding at this point. Yeah, it just seems like they've, they've got a list of stuff, and they're like, yeah. okay... I mean, who gets excited thing? about controllers anymore? Like, I do. I absolutely do. I, I mean, don't Nintendo, care. I, when they showed the Switch, literally did a 20-minute presentation just on the Joy-Con. Well, sure, but Nintendo's been trying to reinvent the controller wheel since the game, since the N64, frankly. Um, they haven't done a normal controller since... <laughs> we were in high school. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean it's true. Yeah. But like when you, time. but like, you know, when you're just making normal stuff, you don't really need that. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't expect to get excited about the Xbox controller either. It's just like, does it work? Does it function? Does it control? Well, does it not hurt my hand? That's all I need. Well, I think also going back to what you were saying about the joy cons, they've been a disaster. Uh, the mm -hmm. one I got with my launch unit didn't work. They sent me a replacement. It worked great. Now it has analog stick drift. So it may be one of those cases where when you're trying to squeeze so much kit into such a small form factor, you're going to start having problems. Um, so you're right. Um, it seems like the more gimmicky you get with your controls, the more the likelihood is that you're going to have issues with the controller as far as it lasting as long as you would hope, lasting the full six to seven years. Like I can't remember the last time that happened for me where... I got a controller with my launch unit that lasted me the entire console generation. PS3 didn't, um, PS4 didn't, uh, maybe Xbox 360. I'm trying to remember if my white controller still works for that. I, I think it my, my Xbox 360 controller didn't stop working, but I switched to other ones. Yeah, because they started getting um, the sticks start getting loose and. Yeah, I switched other one because no, because I switched because they they upgraded them. So I switched oh, that's true. To the, they had the, the D pad with like the, the turnable. Yeah. yeah. 
Me too. Um, and that one still works. I still use that when I use the 360. Uh, my Dreamcast original controllers still work. Yeah, uh, mine do too. My original N64 controller still works. Mine are 50-50. Uh-huh. It's not as good. Like the like I have a black one that I preferred to use um, because the gray one got a little loose for my taste after Mario Party. I was going to say... Ma- Mario Party broke a lot of controllers. Um and that, you know this spin thing with like you know, we had to do that for a thousand hours on the, like that loosened the analog stick up enough that it wasn't as comfortable to play Goldeneye anymore. Yeah, my contr- my N sixty four controllers their their lifespan was directly directly proportional to how much I used each controller to play Mario Party because <laughs> I had the one mini game where you just put your thumb on the yep. stick and just spun it and it just destroyed them. Like you could literally see like the dust flying up from the controller, mm-hmm. like that little hole that the stick went down in. Um, and then you would wipe it afterwards and you could just see the plastic dust all over the paper yep. towels. Yeah, it's... Uh, and you so, didn't even win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, look, I do hear you, Matt. Like, you're right. Like, for, I think most people are like you and they just want a reliable, durable controller that's going to work across a variety of genres. I am kind of an outlier in that I do at least secretly hope that there's something innovative or new in each new controller. And in that respect... I am definitely disappointed with the dual sense, but it looks like a solid controller. I'm 100% okay with the looks. I think you're right. The two-tone is going to be able to allow them to create some really cool color combinations and a lot of limited edition controllers that they can ship with limited edition consoles. I see the method behind the madness completely. Um, and I think ultimately you're going to be able to get an all-black controller or an all-white controller where both pieces are yeah. just the same color. So it won't surprise me if they do something like Xbox has now where you design your own and yep. ship it like to you. Like a design kind of lab thing. type thing. It really yeah. looks it really looks like with the, like they made it with that in mind. Yep, I'd agree with that. So any Mitch, any uh, last uh, comments on the DualSense controller before we move on? Uh I I think it's probably the most aesthetically pleasing controller for PlayStation I've seen. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely has that feel. Something else I've noticed about it, it also kind of has that V shape a little bit in different yep. areas of the, the one controller. that we've seen in the dev kits. Yeah, yeah. so that would be seen in the dev kits, but also it is the PlayStation 5. So I wonder if, you know, the V is going to take a big um, aesthetic tone to how this console is going to look like for this next one. Starting to look that way for sure. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Microsoft and Xbox and its latest big event, which was called Inside Xbox. It is Microsoft's take on the Nintendo Direct. Now, typically, these have not been especially long or especially good. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to what do you have to show as far as Microsoft's Mm -hmm. first party stuff is concerned. And typically it doesn't have a lot to show, but that's all changing because Microsoft obviously bought that clutch of studios uh, for exclusive Xbox Series X development. Um, And so now it's starting to have games where it can buoy stuff like this. And so this week it did, I would say, its first real Nintendo Direct type presentation. It was the longest ever inside Xbox at 47 minutes. I mean, that's even tipping up against some of uh, Nintendo's biggest directs. So it was a full-fledged show. And the important thing to keep in mind about this is that right around the same time that aired, Microsoft announced that it is basically going all digital until well into 2021, meaning that it is not going to attend conventions, although there's a caveat, and I'll mention that in a second. It is not going to attend conventions, and it is instead going to do this Nintendo Direct inside Xbox pre-produced presentations. Now, Microsoft did say 
that it would look at conventions on a case-by-case basis. So uh, my guess is if it were to appear that some convention is going to be huge and blow up, then maybe Microsoft would consider doing it. Uh, Matt, do you think that this is a sign of the times in Microsoft just getting with the times because everyone else is doing it now? Or do you think this is directly related to coronavirus and COVID-19? Well, I think it's absolutely related to Corona. Like they're trying to protect the employees. I think they're trying to kind of set expectations. And honestly, they're kind of ahead of the curve in that regard because Uh that's going to be the new normal. Um, It's uh, like we should be, we're going to have to really question whether, you know, stuff like E3 is going to happen next year. You're probably not going to go to a concert for another 18 months. Um, it's a sporting event, sporting event. Um, the XFL is bankrupt. It's all coming apart, man. Um, um, but it's, yeah, I I think they're just sort of saying, don't expect, you know, setting expectations, blowout stuff. Um, we don't want to, it's also, it's like, we don't want to go to a convention, get all your filthy hands all over our controllers. Um, Again, well, again, you, you want to talk about a pretty good way to, to spread something. Like there you go. There's matter. no better way. <laughs> doesn't matter. I mean, you already do it. But the packs, you know, packs pox is a thing. Yeah. Um, and this would blue. be a disaster if that were to happen. So yeah, I think that is a. Um, uh, I think that's just Microsoft adopting to the new normal, and uh, which makes somewhat sense because they were a Bill Gates founded company and he's not there anymore but he is part of that culture and you know that's a concern of his um so yeah i don't, I don't think it's because they don't have anything to show that's, that's worth going to a convention for although maybe like i don't know i mean like, finally they may be in a place where that's not the case yeah <laughs> for the first time in like seven years they might actually have enough first party stuff to buoy an e3 or a Gamescom. Yeah. but you know it works for nintendo maybe it'll work for them Yep. Hey, Mitch, we're getting uh, comments in the chat that your mic is still low. So either you need to sit closer to the mic or bump up your audio a little bit. I know that was an issue last week. Um, So let's start talking about some of the stuff that Microsoft actually showed in this digital uh, inside Xbox. Uh, The biggest game that it seemed like Microsoft really wanted to focus on uh, for this was Grounded. Grounded is Obsidian's new survival action adventure, and it's basically a ripoff of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, except mm. you don't play as the kid. Well, you kind of do. You play as like a tween. Um, yeah. so it's basically, there, were, there were tweens in that movie. Yeah, no, they're right. You're right. Uh, so it's basically little person, big world, and you're trying to survive. You're going out into the yard where you're fighting spiders that wouldn't be a big deal, except you're about an inch tall, and now all of a sudden they're the apex predator. Um, so Microsoft did a big um, presentation on this. It showed a brand new trailer, a story trailer, because it wanted people to know that there is like a, a pretty hefty single player campaign in this. I um, mean, it started sharing some of the details around the game. First of all, the game is coming out on July 28th for both PC and Xbox One. It will be day and date on Xbox Game Pass as well. So if you're a subscriber to that, you'll be able to get access to the game right away. Um the object of the game is to build a machine that will reverse the shrinking effects. So basically you're trying to build this contraption that will return you back to your normal size. And in the story trailer, they reveal 
that there's this shadow organization working in the backgrounds, monitoring your house in your backyard to make sure uh, that uh, their experiments are going according to plan. Uh, so there is kind of a scheming dark shadow organization underneath kind of the surface of the game uh, that will, I'm guessing will eventually drive the plot. Um, another objective is to build a base. So it does have most of the survival game tenets, like building a base and crafting new weapons and new gadgets. Uh, some I mean, it's the equivalent of like survive at first, then build the base, then build the rocket that gets you off the planet. I mean, yep. that's essentially what that is. It is. It's the same survival formula or build the boat that gets you off the island yeah. or whatever. It's just basically a cut and paste uh, from a lot of the survival games. But I would say the little person, big world aesthetic at least gives it a Yeah, the hook is the setting. Yeah. Are you excited like about this, Matt? It is obsidian. No, no I'm not. Because no. um, I don't really care about the idea, really. But I will probably play it because it's on Game Pass. So well played there, Microsoft. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it wasn't Obsidian, I would have less interest. Like Obsidian, definitely, because it's also interesting because Obsidian's never made anything like this before. So True. it makes me wonder, yeah. like, what what do they have up their sleeve that made them want to do this? Um, I do think it's funny that there's going to be an arachnophobia mode um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that removes the spiders, which yeah. is like, <laughs> like you think this is a motherfucking game? Um, it, it's, uh, I mean, sure, if you if if you're really that afraid of spiders, but it feels to me like that would be kind of part of the appeal. Is, for sure. Uh, I mean, to me, they're probably thing. the scariest enemy other than like a dog or a cat or something like that's probably the like, boss fights of dogs and cats. Yeah. Them are like scorpions. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's back there. Yep. Um, that's cool. I mean, it, it looks nice. Like I like the, the, the look of it and the setting and um, uh, we'll just have to see how it launches. Cause you know, obsidian and multiplayer, mm, I don't know, but uh, we'll see how it turns out. I, I, it's kind of the first real test to see, um, how Obsidian being given access to sort of the resources of being owned by Microsoft turns out in terms of their launch day product, I guess. Yep. And it, you're right. I mean, that's kind of the big litmus test I want to see here is now that one of these studios has come under Microsoft's wing, how much do their games improve with those resources, with that, those libraries, with thousands of people who are working on the same engine? Um, just having the resources to QA your games. I mean, that's been a big problem for Obsidian in the past is a lot of times it ships games that are half broken or busted or has game stopping bugs. To me, that should be the most immediate upgrade to Obsidian's games is that they should mm -hmm. come out a lot cleaner than they typically do, um, which to me, for as far as Obsidian is concerned, is huge. So I think this is probably going to be the first game. We, we, you know, we've already seen a couple other smaller projects from like Ninja Theory, um, with Bleeding Edge, like you could tell that that game had mm -hmm. been basically done before they were even purchased by Microsoft. So that was Outer really Worlds. Outer Worlds turned out pretty well, but I think most, mo that was mostly done before. Yep. The yeah. Transition. Yeah. So I think Grounded will be the first kind of test to really see what that financial and intellectual muscle from Microsoft can impart upon a gaming mm -hmm. project. Um, so they, I'm pretty excited to see it. Well, did they state that this project was done? Uh, like after they made their last game, like they started this project after you being can just look at the game Microsoft? and tell that it was done. I mean, you can't build a game like that in like four months. Like obviously, this game has been in development for quite a while. Uh, Obsidian probably shopped it around to another publisher or two, maybe couldn't get anyone to sign on. And then Microsoft buys them and they're like, hey, we've had this kicking around here. We've been working on it for a while. And Microsoft's like, well, we'd like to see a return on our investment as quickly as possible. So let's get that going and let's so uh, polish it up and get it ready. Uh, why wouldn't you then compare it to 
be an exact comparison to something like Bleeding Edge. You know, that game was... I just explained that. It sounded like you were you were saying that. I literally wasn't. used Bleeding Edge as the example. <laughs> well, I know you said Bleeding Edge, but it sounded as if you weren't think you were really comparing it as this is the same kind of test that Ninja Theory is going through right now. As no, I explained why because that game was already done by the time Microsoft purchased them. Microsoft well, didn't have an opportunity it to make on my it end that You weren't saying that. You were just saying that. Hey, it's exactly what I said. Okay. Yeah, that was my point is that Bleeding Edge is not an example that we can look to and ground it is because Bleeding Edge was done by the time Microsoft purchased Ninja Theory. Yeah, Bleeding Edge was just nobody wanted it. Yeah. Which, and for, I think you see why now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't fault anyone's judgment on that one. The crazy thing about content that game is content. Is, the crazy thing about that game is no one's covering it. I think we have curated one, one review for Bleeding Edge. One. So mm. all the out the major outlets have not been covering Has it. Has it officially released? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. it's out. Yep. Yeah, it's been out for like a mm. week now. And like obviously there's some other big games that people are covering, but these big outlets that doesn't stop them. They have plenty of people to cover everything. So I think it's just a choice. They probably looked at the traffic around the game and have decided that it's just not worth uh bumping it up in queue and they're doing other stuff. So uh next up Gears Tactics, it is, it's gold. It is 100% ready for launch. It is coming April 28th. We got the launch trailer yesterday, two weeks before a launch, which is weird. Um, but that game, they focused on that a good bit too. And that game is looking really, really good, man. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it's like I, I keep, I know it's a dumb reference, but I keep like, Every time I see stuff from Gears Tactics, I keep thinking about John Hammond and J Jurassic Park with the spared no expense line. It's just like they really <laughs> went all out on this thing that you would have thought would have been kind of a one-off, hey, we'll just throw this thing out here because we thought of it sort of idea, but they are they are triple A in the shit out of this thing. Oh, man. I mean, it looks like a legit Gears game. I mean, yeah. it's... And, you know, it really looks like you could like jump in third person and just play it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, the production values are that good. Uh, the cinematics are incredible. Uh, if a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people out there who've heard about XCOM, people like us talking about how much we love it and how great it is, who maybe have still kind of recoiled from it. Maybe they looked at the aesthetics around that franchise and weren't fans of it. Um, this is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with like this brand new ingredient jammed in the middle. So if you've been looking for kind of that gateway game mm. and a Trojan horse to get you into turn-based strategy games. Somebody just know. added Nutella. Yeah, I mean, here you go. This is the game to, that is going to do it. And you know what? After you play Gears Tactics, you'll probably go back and buy all the XCOM games, which now are like a dollar a piece or whatever. You can get them so cheap. Yeah, I think XCOM 2 was on crazy sale this past week or something. It was actually. Just this week, it was on a steep discount. So um, I'm really excited for Gears Tactics because of the game itself, because I think it's going to be really good and I enjoy the genre. But I also think that it could be a huge evangelist for that genre in general and get people to try other entries in, in that genre. Like, yeah. um, So uh, it could be an important game more than people realize in the industry in general. At least I yeah. think and if you are not super into the Gears idea, but you do want to play a game like that, and you haven't played Silent Storm, get yourself on GOG and pick up Silent Storm, because that one's a lot of fun. There's tons of games like this. Uh, John Wick Hex is a recent one yeah. that came out, and it, it even has its kind of own spin on the formula. But these are all games that, after you try it in Gears Tactics, you can go back and get for cheaper if you want to keep playing other games that are similar. Uh, next up, Journey well, to the only Savage... The only, only thing I'll say quick about Gears would be you know, we talked about Halo struggling to pivot. 
um, to go to more towards a story-based single-player experience because the multiplayer they weren't very successful in. Well, here's a game where the pivot can work. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Did you just say Halo's multiplayer isn't successful? No. When we had the conversation that, you know, Halo tried to pivot to more single-player experience because it was getting beat out by COD in multiplayer, that they couldn't make that pivot, and that hindered its transition and took people out of the franchise. Well, here's a game in Gears Tactics that I think can pivot and is a smart way to pivot. To be well, they're pivoting an entire genre, though. That's, yeah, and I think it works. I think for the yeah, but I don't really. That's not a pivot well. for. That's not a pivot for the Gears franchise. I I would consider a pivot for the franchise, and not. I, it's it's I isn't going to be what Gears is moving forward. This is like Halo Wars. Yeah, that's what it's I was about to game. say. The the apt comparison is Halo Wars. I mean, they that's where they tried to pivot Halo. Yeah, but I think. I, Otherwise, you're just tweaking stuff. But I think Gears definitely is way better of a of a strategical game than Halo would be. Halo Wars was an RTS. It wasn't a turn-based strategy game. They're different genres. Uh, even so, I, I, I mean, I, no, I know they're not the uh, same. Let's move on. Yeah, we'll move on. Uh, next up, Journey to the Savage Planet has DLC coming called Hot Garbage. Hmm. <laughs> it might be the, the best name for DLC ever. Uh, have you gone back and played this game at all, Matt, since we talked about it on the show? Yeah, I played a bit of it. Um, I didn't finish it, but I got about halfway through it. I liked it. I burned um, out on it. I didn't finish it either. I maybe got halfway. Yeah, I, I like you know I like explore alien planet stuff, and it was it was fun. But there's a some some of this crafting these crafting games just like hit a point where I'm like, all right, I get it. Like I don't need to hunt around for 14 more foozles in the hopes that I can build the what's your McGigig thing. Uh, it's um, I'm hitting that point with Animal Crossing too. But uh, I hit that. I hit it fast. Well, I, you, you don't want to know how many hours I have in Animal Crossing right now. I do want to know. What are you talking about? <laughs> 95. Oh, my God. My, the, for my, someone who says they hate Animal Crossing. <laughs> I said no use for it until I was trapped in my house for four yeah. weeks. There's the um, irony. I've played every Animal Crossing for too many hours. I think I've literally played this one for like six hours. I just have no interest. I don't care. I don't care about growing new trees anymore. I don't care about getting a new texture for the floor of my house. I just... I, I mean, don't I don't really either, but I have nothing else to care about. So. <laughs> <laughs> I am growing giant gardens of flowers trying to get black roses right now. That's what I'm doing. That's my, that's my life. Fair enough. Um, so the uh, new DLC for Journey to the Savage Planet, like I said, is called Hot Garbage. It actually comes out tomorrow. Hmm. Um, it has a, it's a big chunk I mean, of well DLC. Well done on Microsoft, like having all this stuff like right on deck, whereas like Sony's just like, yeah, we don't know when we're giving you these games. Like, yeah, yeah just wait. Yeah. Yep. And so the DLC launches tomorrow. It has an entirely new planet. Um, and if you wow. remember, that was like one of the big things about the base game is at least yeah, for me. Yeah, that was, was, that was definitely my complaint. was like one of my problems was I knew I was never getting off that planet. Yep. And it's a beach style planet with hmm. like beaches and an ocean and shores. Right. And got my attention. Yeah. I didn't actually see that part. I, I saw the gear stuff. I saw the grounded stuff. I did not see this part. Yep. So that's a pretty big deal. Again, coming out tomorrow. Uh, now we'll start to get some of the smaller stuff. The last campfire from Hello Games, Matt. They finally showed gameplay for that. 
Um, There's a name I've not heard in a long time. Yeah, well, because they've been so busy trying to get their other game into yeah. shape, and now they're pretty much done with that. This game was actually Well, announced. they just threw another mech into the damn thing last week yeah. out of nowhere. Like, Hello yeah. Games is, is a bunch of madmen and women. <laughs> they are. This game was actually announced back in 2018, I believe at the Game Awards. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and we hadn't really seen anything for quite a long time. They had put out two short trailers that just were kind of like looks at the aesthetics of the game. And then at, in this event, they released the first gameplay of it. And it's uh, more of like a, it's supposed to be more like a, like a Pixar short kind of idea, right? It's not like, yeah. a, it's not like a full-fledged game. It's more like, hey, we're going to let our people sort of like go off on a tangent here and see what we get sort of thing. It, it appears to be tracking towards like a flower type game, more of an experience mm -hmm. than something with objectives and deaths and things like that, um, which I think they would be great at making. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, no release date yet, but it does appear to be coming to pretty much every platform. So it was a little weird that it was featured here um, on Inside Xbox, but I guess we're just trying to get the word out there that it's also coming to Xbox One. Um, next up, Forza Street. Uh, they announced a release date for that. That's coming out May 5th. Forza Street is not a console game. It is a mobile take on Forza, which is weird because a lot of racing franchises, when they do like an arcade-style spinoff, they'll call it whatever street. Uh, remember, EA had its mm -hmm. big label where all its arcade takes on its sports games were called NFL street. street, NBA Street. So typically that denotes this is more of a casual arcade-style take, but that's what Forza Horizon is already um so it is coming out on mobile it looks really hot i mean i'm not in the studio but i'm assuming you guys are watching uh the, the trailer for it right now it looks legit like it looks like a forza horizon game uh there's a bunch of betas going on over the next couple weeks if you want to go on sifted and go to that game page and then click on early access you can get some mm -hmm. information about that um, but then it launches in full on may 5th matt it's already, it's already on pc i think is it I think so. It's in like early access stuff right now, but not an official launch yet. Yeah, but you can um, play it one way or the other. Yeah, so you can actually give it a go before its official launch uh, on the 5th of May. Um, you going to give that a go, Matt? I know we, we both uh, love this franchise, but is it enough for us to try a mobile racing game? I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of... I'm, I've hit the point where I'm kind of okay just waiting for Horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't even know if I don't even know if I'd bother with like the straight motorsport entry that is inevitably going to launch with the new system. Like I just don't know if I need to do that anymore. Some genres 60. work great in mobile. To me, driving games, not one of them. I've never played no, a racing game. I don't, I don't think that translates. No. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I need a stick or a D-pad to play those games on on-screen controls for racing games. I've never played one uh, that I felt controlled as well as using a stick. Now, I'm sure there maybe is a game out there that controls that well. It'd be great if somebody left that in the comments so I could check it out. I've just tried a ton of mobile racing games and they've all played like crap to me. So mm -hmm. not that excited for it, but I know it's a pretty big franchise. So I wanted to get it on people's radar. And then the final announcement was very minor. Microsoft just said that it has made some tweaks to Game Bar, which is the game streaming overlay in Windows uh, I'm guessing nobody uses that <laughs> because there's so many other ways to stream on a PC. Obviously, you can use Twitch or Mixer even. Um, so I don't know how much functionality most people are going to get out of that. You can use Shadow Play NVIDIA to stream. Um, so I won't use it, but it's good to know that Microsoft is updating. It's kind of lesser known products kind of behind the scenes. So Matt, what do you think about the uh, 
the event in general? Are you, are you impressed with what was shown and announced? Do you think it was good enough um, to have an event like this? I mean, it's what they had. Um, obviously, there's nothing that's burning the house down or anything, but like, it's fine. Uh, it's as it's as solid as maybe I would say uh, Sony's first attempt last year. Um, and I'm sure there will be more stuff to show as these the newly bought developers kind of spool up and get their stuff done. Um, I like that so much of it is like, oh, it's out this month or next yeah. month or very soon. You know, like there's nothing shown past midsummer, really. So yep. uh, I like the immediacy of it. That's also one of the things that, that Nintendo uses to its advantage is they usually show stuff that's pretty soon. Maybe maybe a couple teases of like later in the year, but like. In general, the Nintendo Directs focus on the immediate future, which I think is a positive way to go about it. So uh, yeah. it's a good start. Yeah, um, I think it's auspicious, meaning yeah. it's a good sign of things to come. Mm -hmm. Like I, when I first heard the all digital stuff coming from Microsoft, I was kind of pissed off. I was like, wow, one of the last big boys who was going to every convention is gone. Uh, then I watched Inside Xbox and I was like, okay. I, I'll be okay. I think as long as they keep doing these and they're of this quality and of this breadth and of this length, um, I think I'll be okay with them kind of going the direct route. It was well produced, you know, as far as like mm -hmm. how it was cut together. Uh, there were a lot of people sheltering in place. Um, it's yeah. just really bizarre to there's see the, all content with webcams now. <laughs> also a fair, fair number of XG4 people working on that. Yeah. So. Yep. So that's why it was go. well produced. It was our people. You're absolutely right. That's exactly why. Well, and so also there you, you go. Can say that uh, you know this one relates very much to like Sony's first state of play. You know, it's I could say it's the same type of quality, which you know they'll get better as they do more of them. I know they've done a bunch of inside Xboxes, but they never had to solely focus on a full digital initiative to release information. And I would say they probably need to work on marketing it a little bit more because yeah, I know, didn't actually Sony, know it happened. Sony owns it on Twitter, like they own. Well, they they did of, market the but, hell out of it. They put but, out like trailers yeah, just for I that. I understand. Sony that, doesn't but, do that. But I would say I didn't even know this inside Xbox happened, and I always know there's a state of play because it's always on social media and i i think that's just your interests honestly no i mean i follow xbox and i barely see it if they do an inside xbox but that's probably see, because I, you're not liking as many tweets from xbox so it's not always coming up in your feed you're liking more playstation posts so they has precedent and it's popping up in your feed more because of the algorithm they promoted the hell out of this literally they put out a trailer for it have you ever seen a trailer for anything sony's done like that or a trailer for a nintendo direct I've seen a trailer for Sony. Yeah, I've seen it. Like, Have you? They, they've, they've done some trailers for like Cummings. I mean, it was usually it's just like a logo and a date, but yeah. Just, I did not know this was happening until after it happened. Hmm. Um, I saw it on Sifted. I saw people posting. I saw people I know who had done segments in it post like, hey, my thing happened. And uh, I was like, oh, I guess that happened. So I saw that's. I didn't see the whole thing. I just saw pieces of it as people posted the, the individual stuff. Um, Accidentally, so I, though, Mitch did bring up a good point, though, and that I, is for the last six or seven years, most people have been liking and commenting on PlayStation content. Mm -hmm. And so that does put you behind the eight ball on social media going forward because yeah. those algorithms are not going to pop your stuff up into people's feeds like it does for PlayStation or like it and does. I'll be honest, I, I can't be sure that I didn't see it pop up in my feed and just ignore it because I'm so used to Microsoft stuff being banal. Nothing. That could be it yeah. as well. I mean, even on Sifted, I 
I follow, I mean, I changed as, I, as I've been doing more of this kind of content, I've been changing it so I get everybody's information and I'm kind of pushing everything up. So you adjusted and, your SIFT ratings yeah, basically I, yeah, so you could get Exactly. More. So like if Microsoft does bring out news, I do see it uh, and it's always going to be there in the forefront. I barely saw it, if not, not saw it at all until after it happened. And, you know, that's, that shows in my mind, at least. Yeah, I don't know. I think social media is driven by your behaviors typically. Um, and because everyone's been conditioned to interact with PlayStation for the last six or seven years, everyone's feeds are going to be driven by it until Microsoft's going to have to have big stuff consistently to change that. Um, mm -hmm. It can't even just be like one thing where all of a sudden here's the first gameplay of Halo Infinite and it blows up on their Twitter feed. You're going to need like... 10 or 20 more of those to get back to where PlayStation is as far as in people's algorithms and stuff like that. So it's definitely an uphill battle to fight, not an impossible battle to win, but it's tough. Um, and it is one of those things that's only unique to today. Uh, back in the N64, PlayStation 2 eras, you have to worry about stuff like this. Like how do we pop in people's social feeds? Like, it's crazy how things have changed now. But if anyone can figure out how to turn that around, I'm guessing it's Microsoft. I have a feeling they might have some programmers there who might be able to tell them best practices to get them bumped up. So, all right, let's Maybe. move on. Hopefully not the guys who designed the Xbox One OS. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you saw this week that uh, Xbox Series X is not going to have a new dashboard. Hmm. I think we even mentioned that last week, actually. It's going to use the Xbox One dashboard. Um, at least at launch. I am hoping that they're building a new one behind the scenes and that this is just going to be a placeholder until they get it I done. Hope, I hope it at least runs faster. I mean, that's the hope, right? Is that even as it is, if you put it on that hardware, it should be snappy. And if it's mm. not, then, oh my God, your programming is trash. That's all I got to say. Uh, okay, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Google Stadia because Google Stadia is on the ropes. Let's just be honest. Um, it launched to limited fanfare, it kind of blew its launch window opportunity. It did this weird kind of soft launch thing in November. It didn't have everything available. It has basically crushed Google's game streaming service. No one's and then it basically it. disappeared. Yeah. Like, they had no, no new anything for months. No one's using it. No one's talking about it, except for us. Um, and it's just, it's completely non-existent in pop culture yeah. lexicon right I now. I saw some people talking about it because of this this trial thing, but like even that is like I saw Christian Spicer on Twitter literally interacting with the Stadia Twitter account trying to figure out how to subscribe, like to get his account to subscribe. Like, it, the, the website's a mess. Like it's just, there's no, and like you had to go this, go over here, go here and back out of this, and then you'll be subscribed, even though it doesn't say you're subscribed. So it's like, no, guys, that's like, not good how, enough. That's not how you run a business. Especially not for Google. Like, how, like, you, there's no excuse, no excuse whatsoever. Yep. So Matt kind of mentioned already uh, what we're going to talk about, and that is the fact that Google Stadia is free for the next two months. Uh, so you can get the Stadia Pro subscription, which is $10 a month. So you're, it's basically a $20 deal. Um, the good news is if you buy any games while you're on that trial and then you decide not to pay when the two months is up, you can still keep and play those games on Stadia going forward if you let your subscription expire. Um, now, Stadia has said that they've done, that it, it's done this because of the coronavirus outbreak. Do you believe that, Matt? 
Um, I mean, it's a pretty good story, isn't it? Right. Cool story, um, bro. <laughs> like, I feel like if you had things together, like you would have already been ready to roll that out by virus or no virus. Um, uh, I mean, I've again, had two months since the virus yeah, started. And I, and I still feel like, I know it just feels like they don't know where they're going with this and it feels very scattered. The website wasn't ready for it. Um, in a lot of ways, in terms of like user interface, um, and they still have nothing new. Okay. Okay. You got your, your, your free trial, but it's just like, you get a bunch of basically shovelware. If you want to play the real games, you still got to pay 60 bucks for these things. Well, that's nothing, another literally thing. nothing. So that is another thing that, that they just announced today is that, Nine of its AAA games are steeply discounted during the two-month period. So mm -hmm. it's like at least 30% off on pretty much every big AAA game that's on Stadia. And again... Mm. Or you, I could just buy them for almost the same discount elsewhere and own them. You probably could, yeah. Like I, but again, no... if you do buy them, you'll have access to them even if your subscription lapses. Well, and I think the other thing that probably is not so great right now, if you think about it, the internet's not excellent right now, you, and you're streaming, awful here. You're, yeah. you're streaming I'm surprised it. Surprised like, that HD out of my yeah. Zoom. To so be honest, so it's like you have to stream this, and so it's. I mean, at least the one thing they're trying to do is say, "Hey, you can have this game later after the trial ends, so that maybe once the coronavirus passes, the internet becomes a lot more stable. You can actually play it." But right now, when you can play it. It's not going to be that great. It's not a great sales pitch at the moment to be able to do it. I could never play Stadia here. No way. I mean, it literally, like, uploading a YouTube video from here now after the outbreak, like, it could be, like, half a gig, and it'll take an hour. It's, it's insane. Like, some of my upload speeds are, like, a meg a second, right. if I'm lucky. So I've been having all kinds of problems here. I could never play Stadia here. Yeah, um, sending, uh, sending video files to each other. We've had, like, it takes forever. Yeah, it does. Because everyone's internet sucks unless you live in some rural area. Like, my mom, she's fine. Like, her internet hasn't changed at all. Mine's she lives still in fine. Car she lives in Carlisle, PA. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, MDUs, multi-dwelling units. Like, I live in an apartment mm -hmm. complex. So, we have that one big pipe coming into our, our apartment complex and then it's split out amongst like 300 apartments. And, and everybody's so, home. And everybody's home all the time. And at night, yeah, it's almost unusable. Yeah, because like, mine hasn't changed at all, really. Yep. Like if I stream Netflix at night, I get like 480p video <laughs> a lot of the time. It's awful. Um, but there's nothing I could do. You know, I called no, not the in company. that situation. Yeah. I called the company and they're like, we're aware of it, but there might not sorry. be anything they can do just because cable does split the bandwidth. Like, you know, they're, they're built to handle not everyone doing it at the same time. Yep. They could have uh, built, they could have spent money on infrastructure is what they could have done, but you know, they'll no, just get bailed out by tax. That's not how you maximize profit chain. Exactly. Yeah, but, just, the taxpayers are just bail them out. So why would they? Yeah. But I think if they did this idea at launch, I think, it would definitely be more different because the internet's a little bit more stable. It's a great way to get someone into the system. And oh, they were greedy at launch. System. And yeah, they were. Absolutely. They yep. wanted you to pay 129 I think it was, 129 bucks to have a controller. And I'll admit, I mean, I was going to try it out and I did tr shill. And then I changed my mind after a day going, I don't need this. Like, I need to try it first before I'm ever going to buy something like this. And... Mm -hmm. 
You know, well, you know the controller still. If you want to stream to your TV through Chromecast, you still need the, their controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they won't exactly. work with other controllers. Yep, exactly. And I have a Chromecast, so I mean, I already had the Ultra, and I was already set. If I was just gonna download uh, Stadia, I could use it for a bunch of things. But that yeah. controller's seventy bucks. Yeah, it's it's Screw too you. much of a price for something that is extremely unproven in this market right now. Do you guys think this is going to have any impact on Stadia whatsoever, either positive or negative? Probably not. Me either. I mean, it remains, as I've said before, a solution in search of a problem. There just aren't enough games. I mean, that's the bottom line. Since it launched, they have struggled to bring any new games online and the ones like i wish have- i could just like set a setting on like their email list or whatever just be like when jade raymond's game comes out <laughs> you let me know <laughs> but until then go away i mean let's be honest that game may never come out matt oh she yeah may, i mean it's not even just her game she's actually the head of all the studios there so she's developing multiple games at once i yeah. don't i understand what you're saying though she is developing one very specific what, product that people look, are excited just about tell but, me when something she had her hands on yeah. comes out for me to play and i can't play it anywhere else like, and it may be like that that game isn't done for two or three years and i don't know if stadia is gonna last that long yeah like google, just, google's not afraid to pull the plug on stuff that's it's not sure. even projects that it has had that is spent literally billions of dollars on so yeah. and especially in what we're gonna witness in the economy for the yep. next mm-hmm. eight months and now, in conjunction with what Mitch mentioned about you know the internet infrastructure being crap and people not being able to get a good experience from it, it's just it's. Are you guys ready to say it's doomed yet? Oh, I, I thought was it was to say done it, months ago. Yeah, I was ready to say it was doomed when they announced it. But I like, was. also remember like this whole pandemic situation is showing again the value of the local hardware. Like, you don't want this stuff running remotely if you don't have. To to have it running remotely. Yep. yep. And you want to be able to own your shit. Like, because if this thing goes down, your internet doesn't work properly anymore, you're not fast enough to stream. A, well, that's 60 bucks you spent on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Sorry, can't play it. Like, at least on Steam yeah. or anything else, I could download it and play it offline. But and that's there, like, you're there, taking away one of the key advantages. And there is yeah. proof in the pudding right now, you know? People have to buy digital games now. And mm-hmm. some people, and I know a bunch of people, that aren't willing to shill it up. They want that physical copy still. And yes, it has improved some numbers in regards to how many digital versions are they selling compared to the past. But once this is all over, I'm going back to physical. And that was one of my big issues with Google Stadia, and it still is. I need to own that game. like that. I still buy physical. <laughs> I buy physical anytime I can. I never buy digital unless I have to. Um, but, you know, physical games aren't like they used to be now. I mean, they're just a key. Uh, you still generally need an internet connection to play a physical game anymore. So it's not even like there's that much of an advantage. You can resell it if you want to, but even the value of reselling games aren't what they used to be. So, I, yeah, I don't know what a clear path is for Stadia at this point. I mean, uh, to me, the service should just be free at 1080p and then $10 a month for 4K. Um, to me, that's the only way it even has a chance at this point. Um, well, also, you need to adapt to the free. Netflix model. Well, there's supposed to be a free version at some point, but they don't have yeah. a time frame for when that's going to happen. Yep. And uh, also remember that spending on games is way up right now. Yep. It's like, I think it's only number two behind uh, groceries. <laughs> it's, only, like, it's number two behind grocery stores, basically, yeah. in terms of the boost that it's gotten from the quarantine. Uh, and if Stadia's numbers do not bounce in the same way 
I think you're seeing it being left behind by the rest of by the rest of the industry, and uh, rightly so. Cur- yep. Curious, the, a quick question: Do you think that idea. you know they said that they were going to eventually go to a free version um, that offers to people? Do you think they're hesitating on that because they don't have enough people paying at that ten dollar uh, a month subscription to say no. we can go free soon? Or no, it's Google. They don't really they don't really care about making money in the short term, everything they do is a long play. Um, I don't think they're ready. I think they, you know, to yeah. do that free thing, you have to have the thing where you can use any controller and throw to any device. And I just don't think it's ready to do that yet. But yep. don't you think it's, that hinders it now? Because new consoles well, yeah, are coming of course. out. Of course new it does. controllers yeah. are coming out at the end of the year. So all of a sudden, is that gonna, that's probably going to push them back again. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, it won't, those, it won't matter. Yeah, like it, that. That is such a tiny drop in the bucket of all the other problems they have that I'm sure it's you know. The problem isn't them getting each controller to work. It's getting any controller to work. Once they mm-hmm. they accomplish that, then the all the other controllers they'll be able to figure that out immediately. So they just don't have the underpinnings available yet for them to have the service available the way that they had marketed it from the beginning. Um, and maybe that's part of it too, is bait and switch. People maybe watched the stuff about Stadia. They're like, oh, this looks great. And then they went and tried it and they're like, this isn't what they talked about. So yeah, it is not looking good. Like I, I mean, they got cyberpunk coming. I mean, is that a saving grace though? When it's available for everything? Not really. It's a me too thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I'm really struggling to see a path to success for Google Stadia at this point. I just, I just can't see it. If um, it was a timed exclusive, I would totally say yes. Oh yeah, even if they had it for a month. Yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't have it to could, be very long. Just it could make a time. difference, even a week. If Google threw a hundred million dollars at CD Projekt Red and was like, "Hey, let us have it for five days," that might have an impact. But my guess is people will play Even it. Even I wouldn't do that. Right. People will play it, finish it, and never use Stadia again. Like, I just don't see people looking at that and saying, okay, this lets me know that I want this service now. It's, yeah, I, I just... I mean, if, if, if the Epic Store gets so much hate for doing stuff like that, it's not going to help right. with, with an objectively worse service. Yeah. I mean, it's just like any other platform. Until there is exclusive content worth playing on it, it is going to have no chance. Yeah. And Even I the Apple that. Arcade is doing better in that yeah. regard. And not, not much, but better. Not much, but there's some stuff on there that you can only play there, although some of it started to come to the Switch. So Yeah, yeah slowly it's starting to kind of leak out. But yeah, I, it's <laughs> Stadia, man. I'm... It's hard for me to fathom how a company as big as Google could botch something so badly. Google botches stuff all the time. They just don't talk about it. I mean, Google Glass was a massive failure, too. We just don't think about it anymore because it's so irrelevant. Well, only like one person I knew had Remember how big that was with the test on that? Yeah. I mean, Jeremy did, but like uh, I knew a few people, but Jeremy was the the biggest believer. But for a while while there, you go to any gaming event, at least like six or seven people were running around with that thing. Yeah. And now no one even talks about it. Yeah, I don't. Fun. I mean, do they even fun. support it still? Probably no, not. No, 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 no. Of course yeah. not. It was yeah. fun. I mean, I remember Jeremy let me use his, uh, and like he showed me like a couple things, and he's like, "Oh, you got you did the Google smile." Like, yeah, because like when you see it work the first time, you get this big that big tech nerd grin on your face. Yeah, and then you're like, "Yeah, but I'm, I saw it and I'm done." Then no. you start thinking about it, and you're like, "What am I actually going to use this for?" Yeah, until you incorporate that tech into like a contact lens, I'm not going to really. I'm not going to wear a weird little extra thing on my face like that. 
And that is one thing I would say is that when you deal with companies like Google, you're going to have a lot of failed experiments because yeah. they have a lot of money and they're pushing the envelope. They're trying to uncover and discover new stuff or just new ways to do existing things. And I mean, they're throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Yeah. And most of it doesn't stick. That Google graveyard website has like what, like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds yeah. of things, you know? Yep. Google Wave. You remember Google Wave? Yeah, no, yeah. no one remembers what. You know, and I don't even really know what that was. It was some kind of social media sharing thing or something. I don't know. I don't know either. Part of their problem is the inability to name things well. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what is Google Wave? What does that tell me? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, the Google Glass kind of makes Facebook. sense. Google Stadia. N nothing tells me nothing. Like yeah. it sounds. It sounds like their competitive video meeting app. Frankly, actually, that's you're right. That's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like their version of Zoom. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the ESRB. We hardly ever talk about the ESRB unless it does something bad. This is a rare exception, though, where we're going to discuss the ESRB because it did something good. Uh, this week, the ESRB announced that going forward, there is a new designation. Uh, on bot game box art for loot boxes. Now, here's a little bit of the rub. It's not, they're not called loot boxes or anything even close to that on the box. It's called interactive element. I would hope there's an interactive <laughs> element in my video game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Who came up with that idea? Uh, but that's what it is. You'll see it on the box. It'll say interactive element if there are loot boxes in the game. Uh, it will be assigned to any Why game. Why don't you say in-game purchases like all the digital stuff says? They already have that. That's different, Matt. That's separate. So that just lets you know that you can buy stuff. So that tells parents like, hey, if my kid plays this game and I'm not watching him and, he has, and the credit card is on the console or whatever, my kid could run up a crazy bill. That's what mm -hmm. the in-game purchases designation was for. This one denotes specifically, it's assigned to any title with in-game offers to spend real money on something when players won't know exactly what they'll receive for their money. So and, if there's and any how do you history, boil that down to interactive element? Even as I don't either. Even as someone who doesn't really consider that to be gambling, just like more like trading card stuff, like that doesn't describe that at all. Like it, like also loot boxes aren't interactive. Any more right. than any other purchase. Like that doesn't, that's not a thing. Well, something actually, you hit a button and something happens on the screen. There's a, an animation and then you get your yeah, stuff. Yeah, I hit a button on the buy thing and it is an animation and I download it. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. I don't see, there's not any appreciable difference there. Here's should, the thing it, about it the ESRB. Be something like randomized purchases or ra the, like the idea of random or, or, or luck driven should be in there somewhere. Yeah. That's, yeah, luck should be in there, exactly. Um, here's the thing about the ESRB, though. It was created specifically to avoid issues with mm. government. How about this? Non-skill-based transactions. That's that's good. Is that, is that, like, is, is that business is bullshit for, enough? Well, like, does that work? The problem is, for us, we understand what that means. Uh, but yeah. This is for the parents. Yeah, but even I just, don't understand what interactive yeah, I know, element and I And I yeah. agree 100%. I think this is a horrible explanation to, for a parent to go up to a video game and understand what the heck does that mean. Like, I, I don't think it helps. I mean, if the government thinks it solves the problem, great. But if... At the moment, I don't think it solves the problem. Well, here's the reason why they've named it that is because they want to draw as little attention to it as possible. So they're walking the line between doing something so the U.S. government or any other government doesn't get involved, 
but doing something in a way where it doesn't stand out as a red flag. Um, because if it did say like luck based or casino like or any stuff like that, then it makes the industry look bad. So the SRB is in the middle of the industry and government, and it's trying to play it both ways. And I think that's why you have this verbiage being used as the new descriptor for the ESRB and something instead of something that is actually descriptive. Man, I wish I could have been like a fly on a wall in that meeting. I have, no, no one could have come out of that meeting happy with themselves. Matt, that, that, I have, it's been a while, but back when I worked at Game Trailers, the head of the ESRB literally contacted me like once a week. Um, it was an older woman who ran the ESRB and they were doing all these, they would randomly check websites. Like, I don't know, they don't probably don't do ours because ours isn't big enough, but like at Game Trailers, once a month we got audited. And they would go and they would look for a random 30 games. I don't know how they decided what the 30 games were, but they had a list of Probably 30 randomly. Games. I guess. I don't know how you do that. But they take that list and they would go and look at our game pages and they would say, okay, do you have the rating and do you have the descriptors? And then at the end of the month, we would get a report showing not just our grade, but the grade of every other website, IGN, GameSpot, all the other websites. You could see how every website did in this report. So... I was in contact with her constantly. And I will say this, she was aloof, didn't really understand the industry very well. It was kind of one of those people who fell into a job at a certain point and then just kind mm -hmm. of grew into the job over time. Um, but she would talk all the time about like what the ESRB's goals were and what their missions were and how we were or were not helping them accomplish those goals. And almost all of it was, well, you know, if a senator looks at this or if, you know, if a governor were to look at this or if a council person were to, that's how they framed mm -hmm. everything they did. And so I could totally see the meetings that you were talking, that meeting being a complete CF um, mm -hmm. and something I would not want to be a part of at all. So I guess the question becomes, does this accomplish anything? I mean, if it accomplishes not, I guess, making sure that if a governor looks at it and doesn't draw up legislation against the game industry, I guess it does accomplish it. Because, um, you know, the SRB is not there for the consumers. It's there to prevent a, gaming, a video game regulation body from being created, just like that was what it was created to do in the old Mortal Kombat days yep. uh, when... Um, all that stuff got brought up in front of Congress, and the resident, the resident of it. evil, the resident of Evil Creek was brought in, and all that. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, the the idea is to deflect attention from, uh, you know, from the games and say like, oh, well, we have a thing there, so people know what that means, and you know, you're hoping that the government will just sort of be like, ah, uh, okay, sure if you say so. And at this point with what is going on now, they probably will just say, you know, there are bigger fish to fry right now. Uh, believe you me. But um, at some point you might, someone, you know, with, you know, once this pandemic is over and everything's done in like 2022, uh, someone in the government might look at one of these things and be like, what the hell is interactive element mean? Like, and then that's how it starts, you know? Yeah. And, and then they'll probably just have to change the verbiage and um, come up with something sorry, else. Sorry, just not to interrupt, but just to clarify, on the game, it's going to say in-game purchases, parentheses, includes random items according to the ESRB's website. So the term interactive element is nowhere on the box. 
Hmm. Well, where does interactive element go? So, uh, I don't know. I, I you just, read the story on it on Sifted. It says that the designation is interactive element. I know, but they have a picture of the actual label, and underneath uh, the so you have the teen, and then next to it, do you have the description of why it's teen? Underneath that, it says in-game purchases. Below that, in parentheses includes random items. There is a link in chat that Vincent provided. Hmm. I'm so, at the SRP website right now, actually. Um, right there. Ratings guide. Interactive elements. I'm looking at it right now. Well, you're looking at the picture of what the sticker looks like? Um, click on ratings guide from the homepage. And one of the top four options is interactive elements. I know. It says it as the headline for the article. And then there's like four paragraphs about it. And it says in-game purchases. In-game purchases includes random items. Users interact. Shares location. And unrestricted internet. So there's... One, two, three, five different elements underneath that umbrella rating. So it looks like those individual elements will be placed underneath where that's what the parent will see. Not the That's what it appears. Not the yeah. headline of the new of the uh, interactive element. That won't be on the box. These specific things will be on the box. Maybe. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see how it's they actually... Based off the sticker, that's what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like it will, if on the sticker on the box, it will actually not say interactive elements. I guess they're just categorizing these in-game purchases as that. That's an interesting... Because I guess they didn't have a category for them before because before they were, before they were just in-game purchases. That was the only thing that they had. Yeah, yeah. and that was like and two years ago that they included that. So it's I guess they just created a little more granularity on that. As long as it says random in it, like that's a step... That's like that probably that probably doesn't solve the problem if you're a parent, but it probably covers the ass if you're a legislator. Exactly. That'll keep the governors away. As long as it yeah. says random in there somewhere, like that'll yeah. probably be enough to satiate. They don't care if mom and dad are happy. They just care if Gavin Newsom's happy. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, they just want to make sure. Well, they do want to make sure the parents aren't unhappy because they're their constituents mm -hmm. who could then complain. But I think that they they have plausible deniability as long as it has that word random. Yeah, it would at least buy them enough time to come up with a better idea. Yeah. Before you wouldn't have a thing where they'd be like, well, we're going to pass some laws about it. They're like, well, no, we had it, but we'll just make it better. And like, they're like, okay, let's see what you come up with. Like, it's, it's a stalling tactic. They're going to see if they can get away with it. And if they do for a while, cool. And if they don't, then they you know, have a plausible deniability excuse to sort of change it and come up with something that everybody's happy with. But if they can get away with this, they'll stick with it. Yep, that's the way it'll play out. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Ghost of Tsushima. Matt, is this your most anticipated game of any game? Um, I mean, more than Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is probably still up. It goes back and forth. I mean, yeah. this thing. Was, I'm probably more excited about Tsushima just because uh, presently it appears that it'll be coming out first. Yeah. So I'll be able to play it sooner. It also, to me, appears to be more in your wheelhouse. If that makes sense. Um, as I don't far know. as sword-based combat, I don't know if it's more in my wheelhouse in terms compared to sorta, of, but I don't know if it's you know, in my wheelhouse compared to like a you know large open-world action RPG made by the Witcher people. Like that's about in my wheelhouse as you get. Although I do wish you could be play it third person. Um, I mean, it's 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 a toss-up, really. I think at this point, and the more I find out about Tsushima, the more I think it sounds like what I want. Um, it's, it's also funny that like one of the articles I read talked about about this, or maybe it was a Reddit post or something. But they were basically like, "Yo, know, playing as a samurai is not a new thing in video game." I'm like, yeah, but not that well, common, and it also, also not like this. On how you approach the samurai? 
Yeah, like this is not like. I mean, samurai have been in a lot of times. Samurai, yeah, a lot of times samurai is like okay, guy in robe with sword, dude you know, with like, curved sword, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> with dude with katana, that's pretty much all it takes. Yeah, but this seems to be a very different approach and a very different approach to the open world thing than what Sucker Punch has done before. Like a lot of the new information in this uh, official PlayStation magazine, which is still a thing. Uh, preview. I was shocked. Uh, yeah. The official <laughs> Xbox magazine just closed last week, by the way. Just oh, wow. last week. Yeah, it was only being published in Europe, though. I think at mm. that point. It uh, it just like you know everything I hear about this game sounds better to me, and um, it's still it might you know it really might be the prettiest game I've ever seen. I like it's in there. It's in that like technologically the most advanced ever, but like in terms of aesthetics, like I look at every shot of this thing and I'm just like, man, Sucker Punch is a master of color and lighting. Yep, like they just know exactly how to frame that stuff. You know what also had great lighting was the Resident Evil Three remake. He didn't play it, but the lighting in that game was amazing. Like sometimes, and they mess with it. Like you go into a room and the whole room would just be blue light. And then they just put like three or four zombies in there. So you could see how the light was working. Like Hmm. that game had some really, really good lighting. I mean, you're right. Ghost of Tsushima has also has amazing lighting and coloring as well. Uh, So as Matt insinuated, um, there was a preview of the game in official PlayStation magazine, which does still exist somehow. And literally, yeah. Literally pretty much gave us the first real details on how Ghost of Tsushima plays. Um, We've had several trailers, and most of them have not been gameplay-centric. One of the first ones showed like a sword duel, Mm -hmm. uh, but the last couple have been like story and character-centric trailers. Yeah, I mean, there was around the Game game Awards, there was, like you could tell there was gameplay there, although they used cinematic angles. Yeah. But it sounds from this that like, they're going real minimalist. Like, there's not going to be a lot of HUD. There's not going to be a lot of. There's not going to be waypoints showing you where to go. Like that they want, is a big deal. Like they want you in the world using landmarks, like navigating. Yeah, they're they're going to force you to learn. So the so let's start from the beginning. The gameplay takes place on an island, Tsushima Island. Um, you are a samurai on the island. The island has been attacked by the Mongols. It's up to you to repel the attack and save the island of Tsushima. Um, and because you are a samurai and you use stealth, you are called the ghost of Tsushima. You're the guy who sneaks in the shadows around the island and takes care of business. Um, now, what struck me the most about the, the new information in this report is that it really sounds like Assassin's Creed without waypoints. Um, they, they talked about in the preview uh, how you have to take down camps and castles. Um, I don't, they didn't say anything about sinking parts of the island, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's there, but there are kind of outposts that you need to invade and take over. Um, and they did say that you can do it in different ways. You can go in swords blazing as a samurai, or you can go more ninja like and sneak in and handle your business via stealth. Uh, but the structure of the game to me is what was the big story here. Um, I kind of guessed a lot of that other stuff, but the way the game works with no waypoints and that it's a big open world where you're trying to take back the island, it sounds a lot like a, an Assassin's Creed or a Far Cry to me, which isn't a bad thing at all. Um, but I just think that maybe people weren't expecting that. I think I expected more of a just a straightforward action adventure maybe than 
something more akin to Assassin's Creed. How, how do you feel about it? Are you happy about that, Matt? I mean, you're a big Creed fan, so... I mean, I'm not sure what you... You did not think it was going to be open world, or...? I thought it would be, but I didn't think it was going to be kind of one of these take-over-the-territory-type games the way a lot of them are. I just thought it was going to be more of a linear, like, go here, handle this task, go here, return whatever you just got to this person, get the next task, go, go out and complete that. I mean, I suspect there will be some of that too, um, but it really did. I mean, it, it clearly was an invasion game, and like some, you know, it is historically based. Like there is an island called Tsushima, and the Mongols did invade it, and they did not succeed. Um, and uh, that's you know, and the the it's going to be an interesting thing in terms of like they talk about how you're going to forge alliances with different groups yeah. and like you know determine who your allies are going to be, and some allies might freeze out other allies because they don't get along and that kind of thing. Um, and a lot the of Mongols, diplomacy. Yeah. yeah, and the Mongols are not just, uh, you know, not just setting up camps and setting up like fortification. You know, they have they've taken castles. There's going to be like you know some real dug in positions that you're going to need allies to get to. Um, uh, and I think just based on what we'd already seen, like it, clearly there's going to be a stealth element to it. Like Ghost implies that already, but uh, you know, you can't have a stand up fight if you're not going to win, especially if you don't have horses. Um, so that always made sense. I mean, what we're finding out is like, maybe not exactly what I expected, but like in some ways better than I expected. Like I thought it was maybe going to be a pretty straightforward open world game, but it sounds like they're, you know, infamous with swords. Um, but it sounds like they are really changing up what has been a formula for them for the last, uh, Forever. Four, four games. <laughs> yeah, game. for a long time. Yeah. Infamous 1, 2, First Light, and uh, Second Sun. Yeah. Um, I do wonder where this formula eventually goes. I haven't got to the point where I'm sick of it yet. Um, I still enjoy pretty much all the, the high-quality games in that genre or subgenre, if you want to call it that. I just wonder where it goes because I haven't really seen and from Ubisoft included, a lot of innovation in this sort of design over the last several years. Well, I think um, you're going to see um, either a leap forward or a tremendous crash and burn in Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, that's probably a good point. Um, yeah. And we'll see, I think there's going to be, you know, Ubisoft is kind of the, the, the forefront of this formula yeah. just because they do it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Watch Dogs Legion is a big deal there. And I think... Um, Assassin's Creed Vikings or whatever they end up calling it like can they have you know they did Origin which was a great reinvention and Odyssey I think really gelled a lot of Origins ideas into a more coherent whole but Vikings is going to be the the real test of like can they take this and do something keep moving it forward or are they just going to make it you know is this going to be just Odysseys with long ships long ships you know like that's going to be a real test and also if they ever get Beyond Good and Evil 2 made um that is taking that kind of idea, that formula into a very different context. So That's that true. would be an interesting way to try and reinvent it. And I saw you, I think you saw some of that in Starlink, even though Starlink was yeah. a very simple idea mm-hmm. to some degree in comparison to what Beyond Good and Evil 2 is trying. So I think uh, as much as people like to make fun of Ubisoft for stagnating, I think you got to keep your eye on them for sort of the advancement, the open world stuff, because they're the only ones who make them often enough to really iterate on the idea. Whereas like you compare it to something like Rockstar, I was just going to ask um, you, what about like, Red Dead 2? Is that not a template for people going forward? I don't think it is because Rock, Red Dead 2 doesn't really do anything new or interesting. It just That's fun. Really that makes the game, production value. That makes it better. Right. It's like it does interesting stuff that's just not really all that fun. And so that's my concern 
with Ghost of Tsushima. When he, when they said no waypoints, that sent up a little bit of a red flag for me because I, I immediately flashed to playing Red Dead 2, which does have waypoints, but like the it takes a while before you can use like the the warp system in the game. And then once you do use it, it's kind of limited. As long as Ghost of Tsushima has quick travel, I think I'll be okay. As long as I don't have to spend, like I did with Red Dead 2, hours and hours riding on the back of a horse, I'll be okay. A little yeah, bit I would fine. guess it will. I would guess it will. You'll just be able to take a cart somewhere or, or whatever. I would have guessed a new Rockstar game you know, would handle things differently, but they didn't. And they are stubborn. I mean, you can take, you can take like wagons and stuff places in Red Dead. You just got to pay for it, which is, which to me might as well mean there is no fast travel because I'm never going to pay you 12 bucks to take a wagon somewhere or ride the train it takes too long. Especially in that game where the economy, like every dollar yeah. matters. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm, I am not in any way. I, I, it would never occur to me to kind of like, look at Red Dead Redemption 2 or a Rockstar game and think, well, it will will Sucker Punch copy this? No, no one's going to copy it because a lot of Rockstar's ideas are archaic and dumb and boring. They got boring. perfect tens, though. And, yeah, because it's Rockstar. Like, yeah. no one else would get... We'll get into another game later in this show that would not be getting the ratings it was getting if it wasn't what it was either. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely, I think, a, a... And not even ratings, but just, like, public response. Um... You know, you hit things where the pedigree of something matters to the point of ignoring things that should be blatant problems that anyone would have with a game that didn't have that. You know, Breath of the Wild had that too. Like, there's stuff in Breath of the Wild that would be savaged in a Ubisoft game. Yep. But aren't because it's Zelda. I did. And, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> but I think you're seeing the same thing with Final Fantasy VII Remake right now. And uh, you saw the same thing with Red Dead Redemption 2. Although I think Red Dead Redemption 2 did not get away with it quite as much because I yeah. did see plenty of people say, no, I am really annoyed with how slow everything goes in this and I don't want to brush my horse anymore. And like, yeah. um, the, just the busy work and the tedium in the name of immersion, whatever the hell that means in the context of a Rockstar game, um, I don't see a company as as aware of how to make something good and well-paced as Sucker Punch taking that as a lesson. Are you I think more excited or less excited for Ghost of Tsushima after this info? Uh, I don't know if I could be more excited, really. <laughs> but like, I like what I hear, what I heard in the preview. Like, it all, it's yeah. all positive things to me. I, I, I understand what you mean when you hear no waypoints and you think, like, is that going to get annoying after a while? Because um, I don't think no waypoints means no fast travel. I think it means there's not going to be a giant arrow pointing you in the direction you need right. to go. You just have to like figure out where you need to I be. I like those arrows, Matt. <laughs> Sometimes those arrows are nice. Uh, like, yeah. We should, I feel like we should be able to turn them on or off if we want to. Um, I would bet if there really is no guidance, I will bet you that we will have a patch that adds it in like, a, <laughs> like two weeks. You know? Not like, before it comes out, though, because the press will eat it up and say it's right. this game changer and then everyone else will start playing and be like i don't know what you're talking about this is crap but if that i definitely feel like they if if they really are going hardcore on the no waypoint thing i bet they have a waypoint system ready to patch in if, oh, yeah. if there's a backlash just, well, flip a switch and off it goes that's already done it before and that's zelda breath of the wild you i mean there's tons of games without waypoints yeah, you go you back to old games to, none of them had waypoints right i mean you don't have to make waypoints in that game and that thing got such a claim for doing such a thing and you know 
all this info, I don't read it as, as being an Assassin's Creed type game. Um, just watching the gameplay from what E3 showed, you are attacking a building and an infrastructure that is full of enemies, but there's a story that progresses through that with characters and you know, it seems it every off, game does that. Yeah, but this one seems, and along with their talk, like about, Assassin's Creed does that. <laughs> along, well, along with it, they talked about you know, like characters, um, your conversations, your alliances, the things that happen with those characters will be significant. I wonder if it changes how the scenarios appear when you approach those areas. Not necessarily that they will always be just a giant tower and just take it out. It might be, hey, you have a person, there's a situation, you need to figure out how to, you know, go there, but things will happen within that area that's just not as simple as take out all the enemies. Things will happen within that area, just like in the demo. I mean, I don't know. I think if you're talking about no waypoint stuff, my guess is going to be similar to Odyssey, um, where Odyssey had the mode where they didn't have a waypoint for you to go to. They just said this thing the thing you need is in this area of this and province and I, hated a, it. I played the entire 170 hours of the game like that, <laughs> I, I, thought that was, I thought that was great i, I preferred it. i preferred that but, but again that's why you have the option like you should just put the option in so if people like you like it you can use it people who don't yeah but if it's well, integral to how the game is going to play and it sounds like it might be on this one that might just be how it is yeah, uh assassin's creed awesome. odyssey didn't you know it worked as an option because it wasn't integral to how it all unfolded but if they well, have, i mean they did put a lot of work you're the one who wants innovation to make dude. it work like, though i mean yeah, let's but, be honest like you were able to play the whole hundred plus hours without waypoints because yeah. of the work they did on the game to make it happen but i don't think you know, if this is such a thing that they they bring it up in the pre the big preview two months before the game comes out it sounds like that was an integral idea to the game design which makes me think they probably would put even you know sucker punches even more effort put in to make it play well in that regard which how um, colorful the game is it probably will be easily presentable to understand yeah you know i mean i'm sure here. there'll be a map there will be oh, yellow yeah, sure. leaves everywhere in the area that you need to go into there's going to be a marsh and it's very specific difference yeah uh, in well i mean okay if, if i have to figure out where i need to go because every every mission gives me a different haiku i might get annoyed after a while but uh it's uh i mean i think from what we've already seen in the game they're not gonna have a problem making different areas in different places feel unique at least visually so um they're going to have right. to. It'll be all right. If it's all palm trees and beaches, it can get annoying real fast. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a lot of palm trees in Tsushima. Yeah, well, if yeah. You just Where is it located look geographically, actually? I don't even it's know. It's just off Japan. It's just, oh, okay. It's, well, it's island. You know, Japan is a series of islands. It's just one of those islands. Well, if you okay. look at the latest trailer they showed, they literally just did seven or eight cuts of completely different environments, like very distinct differences that you could identify if you were saying, go here, you could identify that. Yep. Maybe they've even incorporated some kind of crazy mapping functionality where you can like mark stuff and maybe put like label stuff with your own words yeah. if you want to. Like they maybe the other, around it. The other thing I would suggest looking at, and I'm, I'm not saying it was implemented tremendously well, but look at uh, Sinking City. Uh, you remember that one? Yeah. That was last year. They that game is a you know detective open world city detective like figure out the side quests and the things quests and you know clues and da 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 has no waypoints has no it doesn't help you at all like there is no <coughs> no marker on where to go anywhere you have to open the map and literally mark it up the way you want 
and figure out how the clues connect. It's all up to you. And it tells you when you get it right, obviously, but it's not there to like hold you by the hand and guide you through the city. You have to figure out what building they're talking about. Sometimes you only know a certain area you got to go to. You go to the area and you got to find the bar they're talking about. And then that bar will be on your map if you mark it on there. Like there is a way to do it that enhances rather than detracts. Um, Sinking City doesn't always enhance. Uh, it's a very clunky game. But what they're after, if you can get that game for like cheap at some point, I think you'd, I don't think you'd like it a lot, but I think you'd be interested in what it's trying to do. Yeah. I just wonder if, you know, you're talking about Sony first party games, you're expecting 10, 15 million sales. Mm -hmm. That might be a tough road to toe if your game is not friendly to casuals. Uh, I don't know. I think if you, if you design it right, it's natural. You know, we find our yeah. way around a lot anyway, although I granted a lot of us use GPS to the point that we don't know how to go anywhere anymore. <laughs> it's true. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I will, I'll just answer my question as well. I am more excited about the game now than I was before. Um, I, I like pretty much everything they've mentioned. I'm not a huge no waypoints person, but I do believe what you said, that there'll be a bunch of backlash about it and it won't be long until it's there. Um, but Assuming it's not already an option, like if it might be yep. in there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's not like they've they're trying to push the narrative that you're going to have to find your own way around. Um, that could be great if they've handled it well. Um, I don't you don't need waypoints if you focused on from the beginning, making sure that there are recognizable landmarks that you can use to kind of mentally make that note of where everything is. Um, and if they have done it that way from mm -hmm. the beginning, then chances are it's probably going to be okay. Yeah, like Breath of the Wild's advantage was actually how empty that world was. Yeah. Like it was pretty easy to, to sort of go somewhere and the next interesting thing you found in that direction was the thing you needed to do. Yeah, yeah. But also I would argue that Breath of the Wild, a lot of that in-between stuff was really freaking boring. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that game was full of, my biggest complaint about the game is it's full of emptiness. There's yeah. nothing, you know, there's a enemy camp that you can face against the same type of enemy you faced off 20 times before that and break your nice sword. But yeah. there's it's so barren to the point where I'm like, this is wasted space. And, you know, at least with something with Ghost of Tsushima, they're giving me something more interesting to look at than just a barren wasteland. Yep. Okay, let's move on. This is turning into the controller episode because we're going to talk about another controller with our next topic. Um, we're going to talk about the successor to the Steam controller. Any, do any of the three of us own a Steam controller, first off? No, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> I've, we've, I've used it many times, but I don't own one. Um, they ended up ultimately, when they went to the end of their run, being on sale for like $5, a lot like the Steam Link did. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that the original Steam controller was not as big a success as Valve had hoped. Um, why do you guys think that is? Why have we not been able to create a gamepad to use on PC? Because we already have game pads to use on PC. I plug there in are a, console controllers. Yeah, I plug in an Xbox Elite. Some people plug in a PS4 controller. So be like, I don't see any need to buy a separate Steam controller because I know the, the purpose of it is supposed to be like kind of to, to replace a mouse when you need it to be. But if I need to use a mouse on my PC, I just use the mouse. Yeah, I and like 100% with Matt. It's, it's, you have a mouse and keyboard, for God's sakes. That's what yeah, and I know like part of it was the idea that... Part of it was the idea to kind of go along with the Steam, uh, Steam, our uh, big picture, and kind of yeah, the idea that people would be playing in their living room and they wouldn't want a keyboard and a mouse and the thing. But like, look, even when I was using the Steam, uh, the Steam Link and stuff like that, 
I just wouldn't play real-time strategy games on my living room computer TV. I just, I, if I want to play Donna War, I'll go in the other room. Like, I just don't. And the Steam controller wasn't, you know, it wasn't the most expensive controller in the world, but it also wasn't super cheap. And there's no why. What was, so, you know, Matt, do you think it's another case of someone trying to create a product for where there's no audience? Pretty much. I mean, I I understand if like why you would think that might be a thing. Um, and I, I guess it couldn't have been like that much of a disaster because like I know some people who got it, but like for the most part, I don't see why anybody would need would if you already have like a 360 controller laying around or another controller you have for other stuff that you can use on your PC. Why would you spend the extra money? Like I don't I don't get it. The only functionality it really has that other controllers don't have is the trackpad. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much it. And that's like you said, it's to mimic a mouse. Um, and again, I think you're right. I think. This launched in conjunction with Steam Link and Big Picture, where they're trying to get you to stream PC games from your PC out to your television, um, and then you could use that controller to play RTS games or whatever. Um, I would agree that I've not really played an RTS with a controller where I felt like I was completely in control. So I do feel they've like gotten close on some things, but I don't think yeah. they've ever quite matched it. They like haven't the nailed it yet. They kind of got there a little bit with Battle for Middle Earth 2 on the 360. Like, that wasn't bad. And, like, yeah. Halo, War, the Halo Wars games do okay. But, like, there's not, it's not, it's never going to be as intuitive as just drawing that box or dragging that thing with a mouse and calling it, you know, just clicking where you need to go and all that. It's, it's, you're never going to perfect that. Uh, I don't know about never. In chat says that he has a Steam controller and he likes to use it for something like Dishonored. Okay. Why? Why dishonored? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait for him to answer back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's an odd it's, that that would be the. the yeah, I was curious. I guess because it's sort of halfway between a mouse and keyboard and a analog stick. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, it Control. could be easier to move the camera with it because of the trackpad compared to using a stick. Well, there's no camera in Dishonored. It's a first-person yeah. game. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why Dishonored would be good with that. Um, I mean, there are obvious genres that make sense, like MOBAs mm -hmm. and. RTS. I mean, there are people who will not play first-person shooters with with a controller. Yeah, like that's true. so. Yeah, there you go. I just don't care. I played Doom on PC with a controller. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, so anyway, we've we basically just shared the history of the Steam controller, which has not been rosy. Um, and then this week, it was uncovered that Valve has filed a patent for the sequel to the Steam controller. There was wasn't a name like most patents; it doesn't have a name of the actual product there, um, but you can look at the schematics and we have those there that Mitch can show you guys uh, for the Steam Controller 2. Um, probably the biggest feature or really just the overarching feature for Steam Controller 2 is that it's going to be an elite controller for PC. Um, it has a lot of the same functionality. For instance, um, on the back of the controller, and again, you can see it in the schematics, you can install paddles on the back of the controller um, it has, the coolest thing actually, is that it has modular D-pads and analog sticks. So like with the Xbox Elite controller, sure, you can install different analog sticks on the analog stick spot. And you can install a different D-pad on the D-pad spot. With Steam Controller 2, you can decide where the sticks and the D-pads go. Um, and again, we have schematics that kind of show how that D-pad and those sticks mechanisms, how they work uh, to slide into this slot on the controller where you can use a D-pad 
or an analog stick. And that, the patent to me really is that. It's that little interface that clicks down into the controller where you can plug either one of them in and they both work. Matt, do you think there's a market for something like that? Probably, but I don't know if I'd want to buy a controller just for that. Like it feels like I I have controllers that are, have the layouts I would want one or the other. And because we you know we complain, we'll say like we looked at the DualSense and we were both like, well, yeah, it looks good, but it still doesn't have the offset analog sticks. Yeah. With this, there's there's no complaints because you can put the sticks and the D pads wherever you want. So if you like it right. like PlayStation where they're parallel, you can do that. If you like them offset. Right. Like Xbox, you can do that. Right, but my problem with the DualSense is that I have to play PlayStation 5 games with that. <laughs> and that Steam Controller 2 doesn't help me there because yeah. it won't work on the PlayStation 5. Right. And if I want to play something with offset sticks on my PC, I have an Xbox Elite controller. And if I want to play something with parallel sticks on my PC, I have a PS4 controller. So, well, even if you again, I don't really have a lot of use for this. So well, even maybe somebody does. Well, according to the patent, you even couldn't you couldn't even play it the PlayStation way because the PlayStation sticks are on the bottom and you can't there's only one stick you can change out at the bottom. You can change out the top, but you just can't change out the bot the two bottoms. You can change out so one the, of them. So the button the face buttons are where they are yeah, no matter the face what. Face buttons will stay. So no matter what, you could have two sticks up. That would be a little different, but That would be different. Um and I've, I've never seen a controller like that. And Commander Fett got back and he said it's easier to pick up items playing Dishonored with the with the pad. <laughs> wow. And that's a good enough reason to use it instead of a normal controller. Interesting. Yep, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Just um, precision is key. Yeah. Based on the Dishonored games do have a little slightly picky boxes for picking things yeah, up. Yeah, the hitboxes around the items is very, very specific. If you don't get it exactly right, uh, mm-hmm. you're right. It's hard to pick stuff up. They should just make those hitboxes bigger. But anyway, um, so based upon everything we just said and literally the the failure of the first Steam controller, why is Valve doing this? Got to do something. I mean, so um, the payroll that we have shows <laughs> the manufacturing plant for the Steam controller. It's pretty amazing watching those things be made. Could it just be a case where Valve is like, we have this plant sitting here, like we need to make something with it. Um, well, they're not making steam boxes anymore so they're not making steam boxes they're not making steam links anymore well they um, are starting to make software so yeah this, is this a hint of maybe something more of saying hey we're gonna focus a little more on software and pair it up with this controller mm, i'm not sure i understand what you're getting at well because they started releasing they just released half-life alex with extreme success um right and, Partly well, we don't know that yet. We actually don't know how it's sold yet. Well, I, I guess in regards to success, I'm I'm rating it based off reviewers of critical success. Critical success, correct. And uh, so, and people are happy not because it was just a VR game, was just because Half Life was making games again, and Valve was making games again. Yeah, so maybe they will start making more games, and that will go into Steam automatically. So the Steam controller will do a partnership with them to pair it up. I have no idea what you're saying. Ah, never what do you mean? Why would they, why would they partner? They're the same company. Valve and Steam, same yeah, company. I'm sorry, I didn't mean part. Like, but they would release it together as the controller and a new game to go with it. I'm still not understanding what you're getting at. Well, I, then never mind. 
I don't know how else to explain it. Um, are you saying that there would be a game that they make specifically that takes specific makes specific use of the functionality of that controller? Sure. Yeah, that's where um, because they started releasing Half Life Alex, they might be making more software that they want to pair up with this controller and kind of roll it out. It's okay. not making a solution like we've agreed. <laughs> we all say this isn't a solution to a, a legit problem. There is no problem right now. There are controllers that are easily available for people to play that people like to play with. But Mitch, if you're making a controller to play one game, that's a mistake both from the perspective of the controller and the game. But it could be. That's how you, that's how you get game. Samba de Amigo. Yeah, that's how you end up with a piece of plastic in your closet that you use for a week and never touched again. Yeah, I, I mean, think maybe it's just that Valve just thinks it can make a better controller. I mean, that could really be what it comes down to. It could be like, you know what? We see what Xbox is doing with the Elite. We, Sony hasn't really jumped in yet. Probably will, is my guess. Um, but maybe Valve just feels like they can do it better. Um, and maybe it will be multi-platform. I mean, maybe they will license it with Sony and Microsoft. I mean, It doesn't seem impossible that it could be work on the Xbox. Yeah, at the very least on the Xbox, is, I would say, is almost a given. But even on PlayStation, I mean, Scuff makes expensive controllers for PlayStation because PlayStation hasn't bothered to do it itself yet. So if Valve is like, hey, this works with PlayStation 5 and it's an elite controller, it, you know, Sony may be okay with that. So, yeah, and Sony would probably not consider Valve to be tremendous competition. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sony just wants to be involved with Valve. Everyone wants to be involved Sony with Valve. Sony just wants to be included. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so there could be implications for this that go beyond PC gaming, but I think if they are making this just as the replacement for the first Steam controller, I believe it is a gigantic mistake that is going to cost them millions and millions of dollars. Regardless of how good or bad the first Steam controller is, it, it's just irrelevant to this discussion when it's framed in that way. So yeah, I don't think it's as dumb an idea as like Stadia, but it does, right. again, feel like... <laughs> You're like, why don't you, why don't you just, well, just sit down, just stop. Like, what, like I don't know what, I don't know, like what, what's the ultimate like ideal outcome for them for this? Like, they sell a bunch of controllers. Well, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, what profit? is the outcome? I don't, I don't know. How much profit do you make on a controller? Like five bucks? Like in I, comparison to what they already make on software, like and Steam, it feels like sort of a, a needless and tr like kind of a trickle of a revenue stream. I don't know. Yeah. Just take in someone. Money. Someone in there loves making controllers. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Just take whatever money. I don't even care if it's five bucks. Just take whatever money you were going to spend on this controller and just put it in developing a game. Like, <laughs> do we need Steam Controller 2? No. Do we need new games from Valve? Yes, we do. So it's just, it seems silly to me. Um, maybe it could be, you know, we have this factory and we need to keep the people there. We're, I don't know. I don't know why Valve would do this. But and maybe it's just a prototype and it never comes out at all. I just find it interesting that Valve is currently paying people to design new controllers after the failure of the last one that it made. But we'll see. All right. We're going to talk next about the Switch. The Switch has been uh, short shrifted in this episode. This is the first topic we're really going to discuss uh, Nintendo's console. And we're going to discuss it for a reason you may not expect. Um, obviously, it's doing very well. Animal Crossing has been a smash hit. Uh, the console in general has been a smash hit, and Nintendo has done things differently with the Switch than I, than I am about to say any other console it has ever published or ever had. 
Um, and why do I believe this? Because this week it was announced that the game Hatred is going to launch on Switch. And not only is it going to launch on Switch, it is the first console that the game is coming to. Now, you may be saying, Shane, so what? It's a video game. It's launching for Switch. Well, Hatred is a very different game. Hatred is an adults-only rated game. Um, and it earns the adults-only rating. This isn't adults-only because there's some boobies and sex in it. This is an Although there's a lot of that on Switch now, too. There is, yeah. This is an adults-only game because the game is literally just deprived. You play as a depraved. Sale. Depraved. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has been deprived of going on consoles up until now. See how I saved that? There you go. <laughs> it is depraved, as Matt said. They're, the only objective in the game is killing as many people as possible as brutally as possible. The game has been banned in multiple countries. Um, it disappeared off Steam for a while, and then Steam brought it back after Backlash or whatever. Generally, it's been the poster child for video games with no redeeming value for the last four years. And here it comes to Switch. Now, as somebody who curates content for Sifted every day and sees literally every trailer for every Switch game, every game that's coming to Switch... It's been a huge shift because essentially what's happened here is that Nintendo has dropped any and all controls on software for Switch. All of them. And it's not just hatred that is telling me that. It's the glut of terrible mobile games that are released for Switch week in. Uh, the, the new releases page on the eShop is just an embarrassment. It is. It's... It's and impossible so the, to sift through. It's, yeah, it really is. But see, that's why we're here as Sifted, because I see all this crap, and we don't curate it. Um, generally, the rule is, if a port is over three years old, we don't curate it. If the port was originally from a mobile game, we don't curate it. And so, if you go to Sifted, you would have no idea all this crap is going on with Switch, because we don't allow it into our ecosystem so that you can be overwhelmed with all the noise. But if like, if, if like Matt said, you go to the eShop or you go to Nintendo's official website and you start trying to find games that you might like or might want to buy, that's when it come, becomes very obvious that Nintendo's quality control has went right out the window. That Nintendo seal of quality, which was always tenuous to begin with, I don't even think they put them on their games anymore, first of all. No, they, haven't put, they haven't used those since we were teenagers. Yeah, and for good reason, because there is no quality control. Yeah. Well, it never meant anything. It just meant that they were licensed by Nintendo. Back when they had meant that, that they passed testing. No, there was never a testing element to it. It was oh. purely they were, they were approved by Nintendo for sale on their system. That's all that meant. Yep. And so it never meant much to begin with. It definitely doesn't mean anything now because there's no yeah. controls going on with switch. And my question well, I was, is, I was surprised that they, you know, agony is on there too. I mean, ag agony is no prize either. And yeah. Had, I'm not sure it, for it like actually a, got an AO. I think it may. I don't, I don't know if it got an AO, AO, but it's up there and it's got, you know, I mean, I don't know how edited it is on the switch if it is at all, but like, 
just boobs everywhere and stuff like that. It's, it's bloody not, boobs. It's not uh, Nintendo qual Nintendo uh, content as I think of it, but it's up there, and you and you could get it for like a dollar ninety nine last week. That's probably about all it's worth. The only thing I would <laughs> ask about that is, you know, we had like we had Mad World happened years ago. Uh, is it Mad World? Is that the yeah. of the right game? Yeah. yeah. And people thought that changed Nintendo. And I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe it is. I mean, here we are. <laughs> but I don't think that led to this. I mean, this might just be. It was a stepping a stone. Time case. I mean, Manhunt. Manhunt was on the Wii. I mean, the, Nintendo. Nintendo is. We'll put a, a violent, dumb game on here once in a while. But hatred is a different deal. Not just yes. because of its, its tone and its content. The fact that it's basically a mass shooting, mass killing simulator. But also because like it's unapologetically that and does not even pretend to have any kind of redeeming value. I mean, Manhunt has a story. Manhunt theoretically is trying to tell a story and, and not necessarily paint uh, these horrible people in the story as admirable or whatever. Uh, even Agony is at least like, you know, very noted, you know, very blatantly takes place in hell. Uh, hatred is just like, I mean, hatred is aptly named. It's just sort of like, you go kill innocent people, like Same. do it. Um, yeah. And it's uh, and it's had already already had its controversy, uh, both because of what it is and and the behavior of the guy who made it uh, already. And it's it is a little surprising to me that Nintendo would approve that to be on its system. I wonder. You know, I know we've seen foot uh, pictures of it or whatever. It's it's implied basically to be coming to the Switch. I wonder if Nintendo has actually approved it at this point. Um, I don't know um, if we've seen confirmation of that yet. I mean, so it, it seems like Nintendo is asleep at the wheel. And my question is, is this good or is it bad? Because look, for three generations now, most people have said there's never enough games on Nintendo systems. So I'm sure Nintendo's taken that to heart and it's like, we got to get more games on our systems. Mm -hmm. But it seems as if it's gone to the other extreme where it's just allowed anything to flood its platform. So which do you think is the better approach? Well, it doesn't seem to be hurting them. Uh, sales are still up. Everything's still going fine. You can't find a switch in stores. Um, so clearly not hurting. Um, I would certainly prefer to not have to dig through 14,000 shovelware nonsense to get to the last actual real game that was released. I mean, as much as I find no interest in things like porting Bioshock or Borderlands to the switch years and years later after the fact, uh, I'd rather see those in the store than like, all these mobile games I've never heard of for $5 or for worse, like $20, you know, there's a couple, some of these things are free to play on mobile and they're charging like 15 bucks Money for them on the Switch. Yep. Um, couple, and a couple times it just annoys me because I see like a space game or something. I'm like, Oh, what's that? I open it. It's like some terrible mobile thing. Like what, you know, the, the art on the, you know, on the yep. shop looks cool. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder if that's like some kind of like indie, you know, dog fighting. It's like, no, it's just a terrible space shoot, space shoot em up thing. And it's like, oh, screw you, just a waste of my time. Um, so looking financially, it looks like this has been a smart move by Nintendo, but I would argue that the Switch had its boom period before it got like this. Because at first, things were pretty well curated on the eShop. It was just the typical AAA indies, if you want to call them that, like the big indies that were coming over. And some of them were older, which is okay, because there's a lot of people on Switch who didn't own a PS4 or any other consoles other than maybe Nintendo. I get all that. It's when you've just opened the gate and you're just allowing trash to flood into your system. Do you think there will ever be a point where it's detrimental to Switch's business? Um, not so far. 
I mean, but that's what I'm saying, though. Do you think eventually it could get to a point? If it hasn't by now, I don't think it will. I think Nintendo's yeah. big issue right now is its online store. You know, I would say I would argue that Sony and Microsoft have just as much crappy games on their store. The 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 thing that fixes it is they have a great way to sift through the system to go away from the bad crappy stuff. And Nintendo clearly just doesn't have that figured out. So I think if they figured it out, I think the conversation might be different. Yeah, I mean, if they had, like, curation, if they categorized stuff and grouped stuff together better, mm-hmm. that would definitely I mean, be an improvement. Somewhat, I don't know how you curate it to my satisfaction. I mean, unless you have a literal garbage category that <laughs> everything that... You just throw half of the Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that would do wonders for their... Sales. Yeah, but if you look at something like the PlayStation Store, I mean, if you compare the two, PlayStation literally has probably four categories before you even get to other games to show you either games that they recommend for you to play, games that are hot right now, what's coming out. I mean, they have plenty of, before you get down to all the crappy games, there's plenty of stuff to find that you can find the thing you're looking for or something that you want to play. Yeah, I mean, Switch has that. Like, they have the featured tab, and they have, like, the best-selling or the most purchased or downloaded tab or whatever. Like, yeah, there's ways to filter it. Not but, that. It's, it's, like, the latest thing that came out, and it's always crappy lists. Um, sort of. I mean, the first thing you see is, like, whatever their feature first thing is, and then you go down to new releases, and then you get, like, a flood of nonsense. Um, but it's not that hard to get away from that stuff. It's just... Sometimes I don't know what came out, and I don't care about what's popular. I want to see what's new, and when you look at what's new, you have to wade through three screens of just complete nonsense until hopefully you find a game that's an actual game. Um, but I don't know how to I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to curate that without like having them admit like you know that they have a this bunch of terrible crap. games. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you you yeah. you have to create like kind of a Legend of Black Tiger category, and <laughs> like that doesn't help anybody who's trying to sell your game. Well, I I mean here's an example I would give you really quick. And uh, what was the I I don't remember the game of it, but it was a demo that just came out of an RPG. We talked about it here on Game Face a few weeks ago. I can't remember the name of it. Um, crap. But anyways. Uh, it's a sequel. I can't remember what the RPG's name is, but um, anyways, there's one that came out. I tried to find the demo for it, and it took me forever. That to the point I had to look up the title name just to find the demo for it. Are you talking about Bravely Default Two? Thank you. Yes, that's the game. Uh, so I to find yeah, finding stuff was, like that on the eShop is a nightmare. It's, it's not great like, other places either, though. Like even on Xbox Live or PSN, like you'll search for the game. And then it'll take you to the page where it shows you the trailer. Then you got to keep going down, 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 down. And you'll finally get to the spot where it says download demo. And it's like this little dinky button that you have to find. Yeah, like, I mean, but the, that the experience one thing could I, be better across the board, well, honestly. Ag- agreed. But I definitely think PlayStation and Microsoft have it a lot better of finding a demo than Nintendo has so far. And that's something so basic. Like it is. Yeah. You, you I mean, get that. But especially if you're we've been going with this with Nintendo it. for forever. Things that seem so obvious and so basic. Nintendo has dropped the ball with its services all along. It's always been that way. Um, yeah. And anyone who's had tried to communicate with anyone else in Animal Crossing is well aware of that. No, for sure. Yep. So um, the problem I think is when you're when you're so successful as Nintendo is right now with the Switch, it's hard to see what you're doing wrong. When the money just keeps rolling in, it's like, we're doing everything right. And uh, 
it's not. No one ever is doing everything right. Um, well, and I, I would argue they do that use all the, the eShop a lot more if it was a better user experience. And I, every, I've had money sitting on the eShop for literally three years. I've had like 60 or $70 just sitting there and I've never found something to spend, spend it on. Every time I go there, it's like Matt said, like you get there, it's just this wall of crap. And uh, I obviously I know the big first party stuff that's coming out. I don't need the eShop for that. I need it to find good indies and things like that. It doesn't bubble up the good stuff easily enough, I guess, is what it comes out to. And I would be spending even more money on the eShop if it did. So sure, Nintendo's doing great. That doesn't mean it can't make more money and do even better. Um, do you see Nintendo ever getting to a place where it's feature parity with its competitors on stuff like this? No. It's not a priority to them and it never will be. Yeah, Nintendo's And the other guys are going to keep pushing forward as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. Nintendo's always going to do its own thing, no matter what. Yep, and it usually works. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Even when they have bad generations, all they need is that one other one to, to offset the bad one. Because you look at the Wii, like it, it made up for the N64 and the GameCube like tenfold. Um, and then you have the Wii U, which did terrible. But the Switch has already made up for the Wii U's failure five times over. So uh, Nintendo, I, I don't want to tell it to change the way it's doing things because it's obviously very successful. And particularly right now, it's extremely successful. Um, but I do think that there's always room to do things better. And to me, that is one of the final sore spots with Nintendo at this point. So will they change? Probably not. But uh, that doesn't mean we can't dream. All right. It's time to move on to the topic you've all been waiting for for episode 207. And that is the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, we've all been playing this game for since Friday at least. Um, Mitch actually got the game on Thursday night. Mitch, at like 9 p.m. or whatever, yeah. our time, yep. and then played it until he fell asleep that night and then played it all day the next day and finished the game. Um, you may not think that's a big deal because maybe you're not playing it yet, but this game is gigantic. 32-hour run how many time. hours did it take you? 32? 32 I think that's hours. low. Uh, yeah. I, I think most 30, people 30 think to, no, 30 I, to 40 is, is the how long it's taken people. For, for is sure. it? I, I, am, yeah. I definitely only played two of the side missions in the final end, uh, end part of the game where you can do side missions, but there was definitely like... 10 you could do um i kind of just wanted to keep going um but i recommend that you do complete those for sure um so mitch is done with it and has been done with it he ended up using a lot of that information to write the final fantasy 7 survival guide which is in today's episode of sifted hq make sure you check that out uh, so mitch is done I'm on like chapter 11 or 12. How many chapters are there, Mitch, total? 18. 18. Oh, okay. So I'm actually farther than I thought I was. Oh, that makes sense then because I was like, wait a minute. I thought there were like 30 chapters. And no. I was like, I've played like 15 hours, but I'm only a third of the way through the game. So it's probably more like 50 hours. But now yep. that I hear there's 18, that actually makes sense. It adds up. And chapters really um, range but anyway, between you're an looking... hour to 
like sometimes it can be like two and a half really just depends on the chapter itself. Oh yeah. I mean, there was one chapter. I didn't even know it happened. Played for like an hour and it was two chapters later when I saved, I didn't even know when it had switched chapters. I just completely like, I don't know. Maybe I looked away from the screen when the little chapter thing came up or whatever. Um, anyway, there's a lot to talk about with this game. In fact, I have notes probably thousand words worth of notes from playing this game. Uh, Matt and I have not finished it. Matt, you're basically at the same place I am, right? I'm, I'm, I think I'm at the beginning of chapter 10. Yeah. So you're just a little bit behind me, but not much. Mm -hmm. um, so where do we start? Let's start first with the story, the plot. Um, has everybody played the original Final Fantasy VII that's on the show right now? Mitch, yeah. Have you played it? Uh, I played and it Matt, the first you played time it, even though you're not a fan, right? Just a few years ago. So I have no... Okay. I, the, my knowledge of this franchise is very generalistic from a consumer until I played the game a few years ago. And Matt, you mm. played it back in the day. You're not a huge I played fan. it when it came out. Uh, no, I, I found it subpar at the time, uh, especially coming off the back of Final Fantasy VI, which I still think is the best game in the series. Um... And uh, as far as I'm concerned, it ruined RPGs for about five years uh, as everybody tried to be like them. And it changed how the formatting and structuring of storytelling worked in JRPGs uh, to be more like an anime series because it was aping uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion so much, which was the big hotness at the time in Japan when they were making this. Uh, and um, they were no longer like epic novels. They were no longer like big epic novels. They were character-driven like melodramas after that, which I found less interesting, like in comparison to say something like Suikoden, which was a more old school approach. Um, yeah. so, so I'm not a huge fan of Final Fantasy VII. I don't really have nostalgia for it. I know some of the people that really love it were about 12 when it came out, which I understand. Uh, the golden age of science fiction is 12, which is when, whenever you were 12, that's what you liked the best because that was your formative stuff. Uh, I was 22, so I, I, it wasn't the same for me. <laughs> um, yeah. I did like some of the, the visual design, even though I don't think it translated very well to the actual game. Like Nomura's designs I like, but what was in the game was kind of ugly. Um, and I really like the music composition, but I think the MIDI in the game is horrifyingly bad and screechy and terrible. And, and uh, hot take, Final Fantasy VIII is better. Um, because not necessarily because... That's a hot take. Not necessarily because <laughs> it's good, uh, because it's not good. The only good game, good Final Fantasy game on the entire PlayStation One is Final Fantasy Nine. Don't at me. Um, but uh, Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy Eight accomplishes a lot more of what it's trying to do than Seven does. Uh, Seven rides very hard on its on its uh, the timing and being the first like thirty two bit major big budget RPG, the first RPG a lot of people played, the first Final Fantasy most people in Europe played because I think it was the first one in the whole series released in Europe, which is crazy. I mean, not that we were you know we missed a bunch of them it's too. Not just Europe though. A lot of my friends, the first RPG they ever played was Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I mean it was it was for a lot of people, but like in Europe it's even more prevalent I think because or at least the first Final Fantasy you've ever played. Because uh, you didn't have a chance. Was, for me, it was eight, and it was because of how seven did that I played eight. Okay. When I was so, let's kid. talk about how the original game relates to this remake. Um, do you feel like you need to play the original to know what's going on in this game? No, no. absolutely not. 
No, they do a great job of setting everything up, and they do a much better job than the original does. Yeah, I was they say, do. I would yeah. argue they did. They do an amazing job. You know, the characters, the side characters in the original, um, some of them, like Jesse, you don't really get to know very well. Like it's a very short interaction. Yeah. This one, she takes each of those characters, side characters, have prevalent roles throughout the entire story that there were moments that I truly felt more emotion than I've ever felt about those characters. The, uh, well, well, Wedge, Big, the original. Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse are characters in this one. Like, yeah. it's very hard to call them characters in the original game. The problem yeah, with, one of the problems with the original game is that it's just, the original game is very disjointed in terms of world building and in terms of kind of characterizing these people. Uh, the translation is not very solid. The English translation is kind of scattered anyway, so it's hard to put piece things together. Uh, there's not a lot of work done to kind of bridge the fantasy elements with the science fiction elements. And the remake does all that much better. Like you can understand what the materia is, how people view it in context of the world. Um, the biggest advantage the remake has is that they're able to kind of realize the concepts of the world and the characters better. And like, you can walk through the slums and look up and see the plate of Midgar, like above it, blocking the sun out. You can get a sense of the flavor of the, of the, the, the neighborhood that someone lives in. And like, there's a stark difference between like the neighborhood that avalanche is staying in versus the neighborhood that like you go to with Jesse later in the game. Like you get a much better, idea of what it's like to live there uh even just the fact that they can the early very very first shots in the game are panning across this barren wasteland over to midgar and then it shows a bunch of kind of daily life scenes and you see not just that like it's an urban environment and kids are playing and sort of it's a very city driven thing, but they go out of their way to show foregrounding of like withered plants and like life is dying on this planet and they and they show that very clearly so it actually doesn't require barrett to push the eco-terrorist thing too hard to show that he has a point although he, so still, them, does. Them, <laughs> he still does <laughs> but like the the biggest thing i think and here's the here's the thing about the storytelling the story in this game i still don't think it's very good um in part because like i'm, I'm on board at the beginning when they're remaking the beginning of the game when you're in the Mako reactor and you're doing like kind of that famous opening and like what the demo was basically, and then getting yep. back to the slums to regroup where avalanche hangs out at the bar that takes you basically up to chapter three and then complete filler bullshit happens for like 20 hours. <laughs> like like <laughs> not like a whole, like the whole middle of the game is new story. It's not from the original. Yep. Um, and some of that, I see why they're doing it. But like the first thing you do in chapter three is a bunch of side quests have nothing to do with anything. And in one of them, Cloud literally says, this sucks. Screw he, does. he does. And I'm like, sometimes just as someone who worked in television for so long doing video game reviews, sometimes you hear a line, you're like, well, that would have been a sound up when well, I did this review. That definitely would have been in our review on yeah. this play. <laughs> and like, <It> sucks. <laughs> the, so the thing I'll say is basically like, I... I'm conflicted tremendously on this game because narratively I still think it's a mess and it's paced very poorly and the story is kind of clunky and the, the villain, the, the secondary villain they introduce is sort of the main antagonist like watching you and screwing with you through the middle of the game is just awful. Like just 
cartoony non like super I mean, friends level nonsense is, yeah and like they do a lot more of this stuff with like you know everybody's acting like an anime character for the for the which is weird because it's so photo real in places but you've still got wedge and sometimes tifa doing the weird sort of like anime like haha thing and it's just like one of the reasons that shit works in anime is because you can drop frames and make things time out right but when you can't drop frames in a 3d game like this Wedge just looks like he's acting like an anime character, and it's like someone you see at a convention that you just don't want to know. And like, the, but the thing I will say as a caveat to that, <laughs> the thing I'll say as a caveat to that, I like every major character in this game. So do which I. for a yeah. Square game is a, in the 21st century is a miracle. Yeah, like, I like, I think Cloud is a is a is a well for the first time ever is a well-rounded character i think he's portrayed uh, as a as a, he might be my least favorite actually no i, I, feel like I'm, I, I i'm not gonna done with that though okay. because i think he's he's a he's not well-rounded as a person but he's a more nuanced and a more obvious presentation of a traumatized person going through these weird events as opposed to the original game where he just sort of felt like a mopey dick yeah. And he can still like, feel like that. Though. He can. He's not. I mean, he's not saying I want to hang out with a guy, but I am getting more that he acts like that because he's he's been through trauma and he doesn't know how to connect with people. Or he's afraid to connect with people again, as opposed to just being sort of a mopey like emo protagonist like he was in the original game. I think they did him better. I understand why Tifa's motivations to be part of Avalanche, but her reluctance to not like be violent about it or make more sense. Barrett, I actually like a lot. Barrett, I, I love man. The I like that. I like that he sings about what you're doing sometimes yeah. in the dungeon. Like it's it, like everybody's got a character and everyone's got their own thing. And I understand. Barrett the passed first the time, litmus test. I was playing it, mm, and his quips were firing off, and my wife just sat there and laughed her ass off. And I, was and like, I give him there the, you go. I give him a lot of credit for like like Cloud and Barrett's relationship makes sense in this one. Like I understand how they relate to each other and I understand yeah. why Barrett comes around on Cloud and I understand why Cloud kind of starts to kind of get where Barrett's going. Like, like there's a lot of good character work here. I just think the overall story is nonsense, which I yeah. guess is sort of Final Fantasy in a nutshell. But like, I think I mean, they've taken these characters and done a really, really good job making them moment to moment people. Well, I'll say this, though. I think the overarching plot of this game will resonate more today than it did back when it came out. Because That is true. The whole yeah. green thing now, like, it's huge. Like, And especially with young people, they're worried about saving the planet. Um, and so it's odd that this game has come out, like, 20 years later, and now it actually makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, well, it does feel prescient. In a, in a yeah. way that, like, the, uh, the I mean, I think it did, you could see it back then. It was, not, you know, the Green Movement in California maybe was a little more prominent, so it didn't seem quite as out of place to me at the time. Yeah. But, like, to na to now, like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of conflict. It, to me, playing this game is, like, like the, the idea that Shinra might have a point is just not present. Like, yeah. Shinra is a, is a monstrous, you know, conglomerate that is clearly evil. And they play that, I mean, the, the, the guy who's, you know, trying to stop you from getting to the second Mako reactor is basically a 1980s cartoon villain. Like, there's no nuance to that, um, which I also find irritating. But um, and to your point about the overarching plot not being great, it, it really is. The overarching plot is just save the planet. That's really what it it's, is. The main problem I have with it is four hours of it's four hours of story dragged out to 30 hours. And like at certain certain points in this game, I am playing like those side quests and like the side stuff. Um, which does flesh out, like, say, Jesse and Biggs and Wedge a bit, but it takes too long to get around to it and or to get through all of it. And there's just points where I'm like, this took six years? Like, 
you spent six years doing this and I'm looking for cats. I'm killing literal rats in a junkyard for this quest. Like it's just a little insulting that they decided to split this thing up into multiple parts without giving you any indication that it's multiple parts when you buy it on the store or in the store, I might add. Well, the other part about it too is that for a lot of people who maybe never played the original but know about the game and have followed the development of this game, everybody knows, and I'm not going to spoil it even though it shouldn't even be a spoiler anymore, everyone knows that there's one iconic scene in this game that people have talked about for 20 years. Um, it's not in this game. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are going to be shocked at that because they've decided to make it episodic. Um, a scene that a lot of people have been waiting for years and years to experience. They're not going to, they're going to keep waiting. I um, think your mind will be different when you finish the game. A lot of what you guys are talking about, about this being multiple parts this game is not it's well titled for the reason of what happens in this game wait uh, i understand mitch told me but this is the thing that you didn't want to hear uh, mitch told me this i don't think you're right mitch i think what you're saying here i got is not going to change anybody's mind about what they wanted out of I, uh, what I, this is going to be yeah i think the general consumer it will be confusing for sure um, but I think because of the way they take the story, I think the the name is correct in not naming it a part and just no. no I don't. I don't agree with that. There's no reason. No. There's no reason this shouldn't have been one game. The general consumer won't know, even know the scene exists. They're fine. It's the hardcore people who have followed Final Fantasy VII for 20 years. But I would argue who are that expect it to this, be there. But I would argue that this this game would help create that moment to be way more significant than it would if they just remade this game completely the same way and made the entire game and made that one scene because you couldn't you couldn't fill all that all this extra stuff that they've been putting in all this extra stuff has made me appreciate and learn more about midgar than i never thought i would expect the scale on this of understanding these about how giant this place is you don't get that type of scale you don't understand the you finally understand more significance about being at the bottom of the plate than being at the top of the plate there's there's a lot yeah, of but i got that there. by now like i'm nine chapters in and i get it like yeah but you won't you won't be talking about that as you go further on that's kind that part's kind of done and it moves on from there um, i just it's still filler it's still they're still not getting me anywhere i mean you can you, you can build you that you can but you think you, you can build that, that stuff without place. wasting my time with a bunch of useless side quests and making me run through 14,000 miles of catwalks. Like it's, it's really boring. The game is really boring to me. Like I am, if I have to shimmy through another narrow passageway again, while it loads stuff in the background, I am going to wish for a disc copy so I could rip it out of the machine and throw it out the window. Like there is stuff in, in the way this game's level design works constantly gets in your way constantly slows you down you're constantly walking slow while people talk it's like someone it's like they took it's like the lesson they took from cinematic western games was hey in gears of war when everybody has to walk slowly and talk with their hand on their ear like that's the main lesson they brought in it is i don't understand why there's so much goddamn shimmying in this game I, I it feels like it's so weird it feels like it was made it's gorgeous and it's ago. beautiful and production value is way up there but it feels it feels like last a last gen game in terms of what I'm actually doing in terms of gameplay and walking through the environments. I don't uh, think so, it is that pretty. I'll be honest with you. Oh, I, think I think when you look incredible. at stuff far away, I think it looks great. I think the closer you get, the worse it looks. I think the NPC. I think it's pretty. I think the, the characters are good. 
the texturing is absolutely terrible. The lighting, uh, that's not that's not true. The at lighting all. in that's the shadow. Oh, yeah, that I, absolutely I, 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 is. No, it's not true it's at all. Stairs steps on the textures. Yes, you can. It, no, it is not that great of a looking game. It looks good when everything's pulled. The camera's pulled back. No, it's, it has it has flaws in places. Models, can I finish, please? The character models, they're different. The What they show in the cinematics are completely different from what's in the game. All the NPCs look like trash. The textures are absolutely low resolution. Look at any of the signage in the game. There are stair steps on 2D images in the game. The lighting, watch the light come off of an edge of something and look at the shadow. It's literally a freaking stair step on every shadow. This game is not that great looking. It also cheats. It's not an open world game. It's only showing you very specific sections of the game at a time. So despite all those corners that it's cutting, it's still not even, I would say, in the top 20 games that have come out this generation on PS4. So it, I think it's deceptive. All the cinematics... Well, I don't agree with a single word of that. All the cinematics um, are pre-rendered, so people watch them, they're like, that's not how the game looks. It's well, not. Cinematics aren't pre-rendered. Which, which cinematics are pre-rendered? The CG cinematics, the crazy over the top, like my motorcycles flying no, through the air is attached to your motorcycle. Yeah, the the, the changes to the characters are reflected in the in the cutscene. No, I see that. I can see the little jewels on the the sword that, that yeah, but that carry through all the cinematics though. That's just cert, certain. Ones. I have not seen a cinematic yet where my sword was diff was not accurate to the sword I've equipped. Agreed. I, I, don't, have. I the scene I, where he jumps on the train and escapes. That's all CG. The like at where he's escaping through the town when he jumps on the top of the train and escapes. Sinra, Shinra. Uh, I, 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 I don't know about seen that scene yet. I and I and I, I mean, I finished. I've, I've changed my sword multiple times, I've changed my material multiple times. Even like Tifa and Barrett, I noticed have their material on their weapons or changed of weapons. On every cutscene, I've not seen a cutscene yet. Yeah, I have not seen a cutscene where the material wasn't correctly reflected, unless they're literally doing that. Like, that seems like it would be harder to do that on a pre-rendered scene. You just have um, to render what three or four different versions for all the color combos. That's a lot of money and time to render full screen 4K CG. Like that's it'd be easier to just do it in real time. I just don't. I don't see what you're saying. Like the the for the most part, I think it's it looks great. Uh, there's just places where like I wish like, I could put up screenshots that I captured on this. I mean, I've seen like things where there, there are flaws in there. I'm texturing not texturing in this game is crap. Texturing in this game is not crap. There's just places where the texturing breaks down. Um, like Whatever. I think it's, I think it's really fun. Well, this doesn't happen that often. Like what the I see it thing, all the time. Every building. Look at the textures on the buildings. That's really I do look at the texture on the buildings. They're gorgeous most of the time. But I think it's funny that like I'll run back to my apartment that you stay in the apartment thing and you get up these stairs and the the doors Tifa's door and Cloud's door are like a are textures off the PS2. Yeah, and like I, I sat there, game, and I sat there like, waiting for it to load, and it never did. That's just what the texture on the door looks like, and it's so weird because you 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 come face to face with those doors like five times in the early chapters, and they, they didn't put a better texture on that door. It's very weird. A lot of people are going to give the graphics in this game a pass because this game is legendary. People love it for whatever reason. They're obsessed with the game, and being able to see stuff that used to look absolutely terrible. In this fidelity, I get it. You're like, oh my God, it's gorgeous. But when you start comparing it to other games, it's contemporaries, it's not that good of a looking game. It's just not. I don't know what ga other games you're talking about then. Any Sony first party game. Any of them. Except for but Days But I would Gone. argue that the, the, those Sony first party games don't have the depth of 
view that you're getting in this game no, because you're in Midgard. They're not, this is not an open world game. You don't even I realize don't, a lot of the not, time no, you're I seeing say that. skyboxes in the background. You're no. not even seeing the real world. They're tricking you, Mitch. But and I'm you're falling for it. No, I'm not falling for it. I think the game. They're skyboxes. Really well. You're not actually. They're not drawing all that. Oh, Mitch. I know they're that's not drawing. No, I agree. They're not bitmap. drawing all that for sure. There are. There is plenty of detail in this game. Yes, I agree. The door at your apartment is not great. Like that's the probably the one, if not a couple times I've ran into. I wish I, I could put screenshots up. Screenshots up right now because I have a gaggle of them that show how awful the texturing in this game is. It, it, you, people can say whatever they want. I got the screenshots to and, prove it. And I could say maybe it's a little deceptive of the because I'm looking at the characters a lot more and not as looking much in the background. And that's exactly what they've done. They've made the characters look amazing and the rest of the game has been sacrificed. Except for the NPCs, the NPCs look terrible. Are like you playing on a pro? Yeah. God, I don't know what you're talking about. The NPCs look fine. Like, I don't know. So like the old woman who's the landlord, she looks great. Go talk to any other character in the game that's not doesn't have a plot point attached to them and they look awful. Awful. I, I look at the I people who what give you, you the side missions. When you're saying awful, like how there's bad no is self-shadowing, there's there's no text, there's no um fur shading on the characters, the hair looks like a helmet with a texture slapped on it. I, I mean I can go on and on. They're hardly animated. They cut corners there. It's the truth. I don't well, know there's corners else. cut all through this game. I don't. I just yeah. don't think visually there's a lot of that going on in comparison to like how they so very obvious. I mean, none of these side quests are acceptable in a post Witcher three world. They're terrible. Like, what? Well, the, there aren't any. There hardly are any side quests. Like, yeah, but when you do, area, there's like six that you complete, and then you don't hear shit about side quests for like another like ten hours. Well, when right, you but it's, it's, no it's, it follows the original game. The original game in Midgard is not open world. Like this game, if I, I would compare, I don't. It to but the just got done telling plays. us how it's totally not like the original game. So which is it? Is it? It's. It doesn't stick to the original game when it's convenient and positive for it to not stick to it, and it doesn't. And it sticks to the original game when it it has shitty gameplay elements. Like it doesn't. It doesn't work. Like this could not be more obviously a slash and burn, get this thing out the door game for the middle eighty percent of it so far. Like, oh, I, yeah, like I, there's no there's no verve to the design of the dungeons in this game. It's it just goes on and on and on. And I I am I can't believe you finished it in a day because I couldn't play this that long because I'm fucking bored. Um, so I, I'm not bored. So I would say the game, the game, uh, the game design. If I want to compare it to something, which I agree, I don't think the game design in regards to the levels and uh, the floors, it, it should have been more open world. I think if if it wanted to try to do something more different than what the original was, and it's similar to when I want to say Final Fantasy 13. You know, you kind of have a pathway that you follow with some side diversions along the way that you can go off of, but it's very much a linear pathway with, you know, if you're going to jump, you're going to run to a thing that makes you jump. Yeah, so, and Final Fantasy 13 is terrible in part yes. because of that. Yes, so exactly. I'm not enjoying it. I will say, however, uh, the cats are very well done in <laughs> comparison to Lightning Returns, which had the worst dog in video game history. So, At least you remember yeah, that. No, but, uh, but I think what, for me... And I really enjoyed this game. So, you know, I think, I think, and I agree with you in regards to the design of the leveling. I think it could have been done a lot better for sure. But what the I leveling? enjoyed level design. So oh. being more uh, open, immersive. And I think the side quests are kiddish in, in very much like finding kittens. That was annoying. I was, I was annoyed with that. So th that's why I skipped the side missions. 
But I think what this game does really well for me was I thought the plot was really well done. That made me want to continue further in the story. I liked the characters. The score is incredible. I never had thought in the MIDI version that we get this out of it because there were constant moments throughout this game that I felt the score was not only uh, was a perfect complement to what the gameplay was happening. Like the scene that Shane was talking about, we talked about earlier, which Mitch, was... Mitch, it's dynamic music, Mitch. It's made to do that. When I know. Actual, well, I th also, I, I think that's... more instruments, it's meant to do that. I think that's actually a funny comment to me because one of the things... I, I always knew the soundtrack could be like that because they did a real, a real orchestral version of it shortly after the original game came out, which I bought because it actually did justice to uh, Uematsu's compositions. The thing that I think is weird about this game is that the, the new versions of all the music, uh, it's all really great. Like, it's a great soundtrack. It's a, it does justice to the original compositions in a very good way. I think in the same way that The Hobbit that makes this mistake, too, it's using a lot of the music wrong a lot of the time. Like, it's taking themes that have nothing to do with the scenario in play like in context of what's happening and just plays the music because they know we like the music. Like, they're constantly playing Aerith's theme at times when Aerith isn't even remotely related to the scene, but they're playing it because they know we associate that with this game. And they're like, oh, we're walking through the slums and Aerith's theme is playing. It's like, it's, it's not that it's manipulative, but it's in the same way how, like, sometimes when bad things happen in The Hobbit, they play the Ring Wraith theme, which makes no sense because that theme is attached to the ring rates and is a, there's, muse, there's words to that music that's singing about the ring racing. You're like, no, nah, it doesn't work with this scene. And so like, there's a lot of weird choices of what music goes where in this game, despite how good the production is. This constantly, the production value quality is scraping up against the inability to sort of execute the nitty gritty properly. And it's very strange that it took them so long to make this game and they still have all those same problems and I still don't understand why in such basic like straight really straightforward dungeon areas or just street areas or whatever or even like the the various town areas why do i keep having to like shimmy through alleyways and duck under boxes to get into the same room over and over again when there's nothing happening in this area that feels like it should be taking up why, why do you need another load here why do you need to slow me down like this i mean the whole like, game it's is so weird like a, like a game from the like ps2 era it's a linear game it's an it's a linear action adventure that has rpg elements yeah it's just i don't understand why there's so much sliding between boxes you know yeah, I mean, that, I, that get, I agree that's annoying, but in the grand scheme of things, that's like the billion things that I would complain about before that, to be perfectly it's honest. The, it's one of the things that annoys me the most about this game, like just the, the stop and go nature of it, where I, yeah, once I feel like I'm getting in a rhythm in some of these things, then I have to stop and watch clouds slowly scoot to the side for a minute. It's just so, it's so weird that that's there. It feels like such an archaic band-aid. I mean, maybe Cerny's right when he says that like the, the solution is to make these hard drives so fast that you never have to wait to load anything again because then you don't have to put a scene like that in something again. But I just feel like I have not been subjected to stuff like that so often in a game since last generation. I mean, I'll be honest. This reminds, it reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy XV, a game that had been iterated a couple different times before it came out. Um, you could see bits and pieces from the different people that worked on it in there. It just... Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if this if this remake was actually in development like last generation. 
And I, I, I will say it's way better than Final Fantasy 15. Like I, I would never, but I, I definitely see what you're saying in the sense that it feels like there's a like bunch a patchwork, of patchwork unfinished feels- bits versus like really polished bits. And like, yeah. it's and weird it is, how they're all stuck together. Old. Like the level design is yeah. all linear. There's really no exploration in the game. What surprised me the most, I think, is the lack of RPG elements in the game. Yeah. You have like three pieces of gear that you can attach <laughs> a couple things to, and then you have like a main weapon you can attach a couple things to. You don't fiddle around with like your stats. That all just goes up like on their own or based upon whatever materia you have installed on your weapons. Like there's really no character building in this you can't really build a character to play the way that you want you have a little yeah i mean later you can play with the material stuff later though you can you can go into your weapon and add stats like more health for that weapon you can add more special attack yeah there's a tree there is a tree so i i would say it's not as in depth as like a regular rpg would be but i think the rpg elements are there for the i didn't say they weren't there i said I, i was surprised how small and and inconsequential they were yeah they're still they're still pretty much the same they're pretty this much the same as the original games was it's just again if you're going to depart that much from the original game why not add some especially because it makes me wonder like as we move forward into the into the next game um so do we keep all our levels and all our stuff in the next game or do we get zeroed out somehow like like how does that be dead before it comes out comes yeah out well uh, that <laughs> square's release schedule aside <laughs> like i'm already getting to the point where i'm getting the aga versions of spells so like am i just full up on spells for the rest of the final fantasy 7 remake like are we going to go through like two or three more of these and i'm not going to get any more cure spells like it's a it's a weird like i don't know how they're going to move forward with this and i wonder if they do if they do either like it's the, I think it's it, it is strange to me how how old fashioned a lot of it is, and not in the sense of like oh well, they're remaking an old game so they have no like they they reinvented the wheel like fourteen different times in this game. There's no reason to not reinvent the wheel on other things. It's not like the materia system was so brilliant you couldn't have like tweaked it a little bit and made it a little more in line with what we'd expect from an RPG today, even another JRPG. I think overall they've done a pretty good job, though, of picking and choosing the stuff that they should change versus the stuff they shouldn't change. However, I think RPG elements is one thing that should have become more robust in this game. Uh, RPGs aren't this niche thing that we played when we were eight years old anymore. They're the best-selling games in the genre. Everybody knows how to fiddle with stats and build their character so it plays exactly how they want it to play. It's weird that one of the most heralded RPGs of all time, when it comes back, actually ends up skimping on those elements more than almost any other modern action RPG. Um, so that's what surprising. Would you, what would you add to it to make it more with the like RPG Like the ability elements. to be much more granular and affect specific stats. So when you look at your character, you have a list of like 20 stats that are in the game. You don't have any direct impact over really any of those. Maybe a small amount depending on what materia you connect to your well, the mater- weapon or to your bangle we, we just, or whatever I just said that you can adjust the weapons that can adjust your special attack your special defense it, it does yeah where's your charisma rating it, it does pre like it, it, you're- i mean that's just not how jrpgs work like jrpgs have always been basically visual novels with more stat rolling happening uh, whereas a Western RPG is more of like what you're talking about, where charisma influences your what you can talk about in dialogue, and like you're 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 directing the story by playing a role as the character. You know, like the the Mass Effect, the Bioware. It's just version, another way the game different. feels old. 
Man, yeah, that's another way the game feels old to me. Somewhat, but it's that, also like that's just what sense. that's what just, that's what just JRPGs are though. Like I mean, JRPGs Persona are. Persona Five isn't that way. Um, Persona Five is not that much different. I wouldn't say like there's a lot more babbling in it, but uh, you know, Cloud doesn't get to make a lot of dialogue decisions in this, and neither did I in Persona Five really. Um, I was just, just talking about the stats, like the RPG yeah. stats of your. Character. I mean, once you get further in, you can you can over. you can mess with the stats in this game pretty heavily once you get enough material leveled up to do. You know, once you're dealing with you know HP doubling I mean, I and and auto theory. cure stuff. I mean, there's, there's I have you, all that. The late game stuff in Final Fantasy VII, you could work up some ridiculously godlike builds. Um, just by abusing various summons and things like that, which I guess won't work the same way in this because summons don't work that way in this game. Let's um, talk about the combat, actually, because I think that's that, something we're going to need to talk about for a while, and we're starting to run out of time. Um, obviously, the biggest change of all of them is that it, the game has changed from a turn-based turn -based combat to action real-time combat. Um, I have tons of notes about this, and most of it is not really good. Um, we talked about when we played the demo that it felt like you were just mashing the square button until you got you filled a meter, and then you and that hasn't really changed all that much in the final game. Um, you're essentially just using that square button, button mashing until you build up a meter, um, and then you can start using your more powerful attacks. Um, so for me, uh, I ended up hardly using magic at all in like typical rank and file combat. Did you guys use it much? Cause it, to me, I use it, I use it when something's weak down. to it. Yeah. Like I'll use it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, here's the thing. This is basically just kingdom hearts three's combat system, slightly modified. Like, yeah, I don't find it particularly interesting. I don't find it particularly fun. I don't find it particularly difficult. Um, you know, it gets done. Yeah, I just hit, I hit him with a sword. I switch to Punisher mode. I'd stagger him. I hit him over. If I got to switch to Tifa to cast something, fine. If I got to switch to Barrett to shoot something, I can't reach with a sword, fine. Um, it doesn't really add a whole lot, and it just there's sort of any, feels there's no nuance to it. It just sort of feels chaotic most of the time. And like, I think I would have preferred if they just made the original combat system with a few tweaks and prettier. Like, I don't know what they're gaining by doing this, except I guess to make it more mainstream in the sense of people expect to be able to button mash things and that's just what they think is fine. I don't know. I got like it's fine. It works. It gets you there, but like I don't particularly enjoy it. And like when when I one of the main reasons I stop playing the game to take a break or whatever is because I get through a dungeon or I get through a boss battle or I get to a new section and I realize that I'm about to have to go hit a whack a bunch of things with a sword again. And I'm like, well, oh, I'm tired. I'm gonna do something else until I can come back to it. Um it's there's not a lot of um there's not a lot of satisfaction to it. Like there's bits I like. I like the summons. The summons still look cool. Um, they don't happen. You like enough. how they're implemented, though. No, I don't like. I don't like the the kind of it's the modern like Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy 15. Right. They, well, they also, tell you when you can use them. Well, also like uh, it's it's kind of the way it's been since like ten, where it's yeah. like they they you know, the the summon comes in and helps you. It's not like a smart bomb anymore. It's comes in and so helps you established and, in final fantasy seven right <laughs> this and is so, the remake of that game it's bizarre so i i don't know I, I i get why you do that and but i do think that squares squares obsession with turning everything into an action rpg uh is going to be part of their downfall i think because you're not you don't need you don't need it to be this frankly and i i think it's weird in the sense that 
the combat is so focused on cloud now because of how you have to play it. And I occasionally just switch to the other characters. Um, I feel like I'm playing the entire game as one character and I don't feel like I'm playing as a team a lot of the time. And one of the things in RPGs, especially final fantasy RPGs is there's an, that element of like, you get to see your whole party. You get to sort of like use your whole party and everything, but instead I'm only really making decisions for cloud unless something comes up that I know specifically is in the wheelhouse of one of the other characters, as opposed to sort of the connection you get with characters in RPG where you're picking their actions every turn. And I feel like that is a weakness that this combat system introduces that the, that the original game did not have. When I first started playing this game, I felt like I had to do everything twice. So switching to what's the more powerful mode when you hit triangle, what's that called? Punisher. Punisher mode. It, when I hit it first time, it never starts. I always have to hit it twice. And as I played the game for a while, I started to figure out that you just can't. You have to wait for Cloud to finish something and then hit the button. So yeah, you have to do it between hits. It's it's a it's a weird timing. It's a very weird timing, and I it took me a really long time to get, and it just feels unresponsive to me. The same deal with uh, using the L one modifier, which you can go into the menu and you can set everything to the face buttons that you want. And you hit L one, and like typically how I had it set up is like the top row were attacks, the bottom two were like healing. Well, again, like if you're in the heat of battle, I would go to tap L one and hold it and hit one of those face buttons, and the first time it would never work. And then the second time I hit it, then it works. It's And the whole game feels like this to me as far as the combat is concerned. It feels like there's this weird like buffer zone between completing an action before the next input will be accepted. And, it, and if you play, you start to get used to it and you just start to mentally account for it. But for the first, like, as someone who likes to action combat, like really responsive, lightning fast sword combat, it, I, I thought it was awful. I thought the I think the blocking mechanic feels awkward and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything even though it is cuz it's like this weird thing where you like get hit and like hop up while like I don't like the combat in this game much at all to be perfectly honest with you I hardly use the magic um, when I played the demo, I kind of thought it was cool how it had like the the pseudo turn-based stuff where you could kind of slow down time and then select stuff the more I've played the game, the less I have enjoyed that because it just breaks up the whole flow of combat. Um, the camera is an issue. Like, I'm getting attacked off screen all the time by stuff that I can't see. Uh, you can fix that, as Mitch, or help it a little bit. As Mitch mentioned in his survival guide, you can pull the camera back a little bit, which helps. Um, the good news is that the game isn't that difficult. Um, you can basically repeat the same pattern that Matt mentioned earlier and defeat most enemies. It really, the whole combat system comes down to staggering. And that's pretty much the way you finish every battle. You stagger, they, sta they get staggered, you unload. Which also is a thing that they've continued to do. Like 13 did that and 15 did something similar to that. Like, I don't know why Square is so focused, or at least Nomura is so focused on the idea of like, hey, knock this bar down so then you can knock the other bar down and then they get back up and you have to knock the first bar down to so get the second bar down and then you beat them. Like... Why can't you just let me fight the thing? Like it, it, it's it's a system on top of a system that, like I can see for certain enemy types, but have it be part of every enemy just feel makes it feel sort of tedious. Um, and I found it hard for me to figure out. So I'm fighting with two other party members, and a couple of them are almost dead. Well, sometimes you can bring up the menu to use the potions, and it works fine. Sometimes you go to use it, and it's grayed out. Like I've because you don't have ATB. 
you have to you have to build up the 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 little bars that like let you do actions. I figured out that like if I just run around in a circle, it eventually fills up, and I can use again. It's yeah, it's time based, and it's stupid, and and it fills up faster if you're hitting them. That's the basic thing. Yeah, so Um, instead, I'm just like found myself just running in circles away from enemies, waiting, hoping hoping that they follow me, leave my party members alone who are almost dead. So I'll whack them, get them to follow me, and then run in circles, waiting for my thing to refill so I can use a health potion on one of my team. Like, it's it's just not good. Um, these are all things that you don't see in most modern games. Um, again, as a combat first, gameplay first guy, this this game is not up to scratch, in my opinion. The weirdest thing to me is that that I've yeah, I've been looking at like Reddit uh, various things. There's a lot of places where you and I are not are in the minority on this. Reddit seems Reddit like our game seems to hate this thing, like to to some degree. But I've seen a lot of places that are just endless praise for this combat well, system. And it Fantasy baffles heaven. me. Of course, well, it is. I, I will say I'm in the boat that I like this combat system. I do. I I. Okay, explain it, why. And maybe, and maybe it's the way I've been playing it is been different, but, you know, you have to be strategic with the enemies because staggering is so important. Yeah, I know For if you're not a fan of staggering, it's not going to work out for you very well, but I think it works. It's not really, that I'm not a fan of staggering. It's I'm not a fan of how it's implemented in this game. I, I think it's well done, and I think they also... Well, how? Them, why? How is it well done? That, you can't just say things and not explain them, Mitch. I'm you have trying to explain, to explain why. it right now. Give me a minute. Like, I'm... I'm trying to. I'm working on it. Uh, so, you know, having understanding the enemy is extremely important, and I think that puts it How? in the forefront. Why? How is it important and why? Because you want to stagger them so that you can take out their damage, or else you're going to be sitting in battle for 40 minutes. Especially when you get in the later half of the game, it, you're going to be running into constant new bosses constantly throughout the time. And so understanding the enemy and understanding how All to you have to do is scan them, though, and you know everything. Uh, once you get layer of the game, they don't tell you as much, and you have to you are going to have to experiment and try to figure out what's going to work best with them. And uh, it will change to things like finding specific positions or hit areas, or this this thing will be susceptible to be hurt if it transforms into this area, and then you must use this type of uh, this type of elemental spell. So a lot of the time, once they get later into the game. Uh, I think the beginning of what you guys are experiencing is the basic of the combat. It really starts going more in the later half of the game. And I think it also, because you're doing those things, uh, you are you tend to have to sometimes retry bosses. Or you didn't do the right strategy going into the battle because you were thinking, oh, I can just whack him with my sword the whole time. No, that's not how you can that's not how you're supposed to do it. They're immune to your sword. So you have to use certain spells. Or you have to switch out your party member because that one has magic only and it's going to affect them. So there's I think there are plenty of But ways. you're talking more about design. You're not talking about how it fe- the combat actually feels and operates. You're saying I have to figure out what attack is going to work. We're talking about what it feels like to actually attack. And They're I think two that, different things. And for me, I don't know why you're running into the issue of the double tap that you're mentioning because I'm not running into that at all. When I and maybe it's I just have the timing down really, really well of understanding when I can. Well, use I said it was a problem at the beginning of the game, and then I figured it out, sure. and I got used to it. That yeah. still doesn't mean that it's good or that I like it. I, I like the timing. I think the timing works really well. Um, I like that you have to be aggressive to bring up your ATB bar because 
um, then you're not going to be like you were running around in a circle waiting for the bar to come up. Um, there are even things where you can d defend and you will get uh, ATB from doing that if you have a certain type of materia. So uh, there are so many ways that you can do it, and I, and I think it feels smooth for me when I'm playing it. There are a few hiccups that I'll run into where, yeah, did I try to heal the person and all of a sudden they just got hit again? And so as soon as that health went there, they got hit and they're dead again? Yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, you have to be a lot more, uh, it just makes me be more mindful of what I'm doing in the environment. I, well, I disagree. I think the t timing and the combat's weird and goofy. And I, again, I got used to it after a while. But by used to it, I meant, and by used to it, I mean that I intentionally wait to press new inputs after I do something. Like I wait, I pause a beat before I switch to my heavy attack mode. Um, that's not good. That's well, not good like combat. Dark Souls. That's what you're, you're basically Dark learning Souls. to work around it. No, that's not true at all. Dark Souls combat is great. You can't stop something mid combo in Dark Souls or Demon Souls or Bloodborne. You can't. Do Who that. said anything about mid combo? But that's what you were just saying, weren't you? No, I'm saying transitioning from one thing to another, you have to wait a beat to put the inputs into the controller. Otherwise, it just doesn't do anything. Which I mean, it depends on when you're doing it. Yeah. I can switch to Punisher mode mid combo now. Depending yeah, I can too. But again, oh. I have to wait. I have to wait for that last square attack to land and finish. Then I have to tap the triangle but to go into that. the same thing as Bloodborne. I mean, that's just that's just combos, though. That's just how combos work. Like that's fighting games. That's, that's how fighting. That's fighting games in a nutshell, though. You can't hit the button before the window for the next move is open. Like not everything uses Mortal Kombat dialogue combo style. Um, is is not using Mortal Kombat dialogue combo style buffering the way to go in a game like this? I would argue no. Uh, it's a weird. It's interesting that they chose that, um, especially because other things in in the combat system in this game are like that. So the fact that that the Punisher switchover is not is unusual, but I got used to it. My problem with the combat system isn't that it's mush. That's all that non-responsive. I think it's fine in that regard. I just don't think it's particularly interesting, and I don't find oh, you have to switch to this person so they can use their one thing that gets through this arbitrary defense is particularly interesting either, especially when it applies to so many trash mobs. Um, like, I think most of the boss battles are interesting because, like, you got to figure out, okay, hit this weak spot and use, then use this, and then, like, get, you know, the thing gets staggered. Get the, like, I get it. Like, that all works. But the, the fact that some, the game, the boss the, for the fact that sometimes you have to do that with just, like, random bats... It's just sort of like oh, yeah, you can die to like rats and dogs in this game, like out of nowhere. Like they'll just get you cornered, and like you start well, getting I mean, struggled. And I mean, I, I've never had anything that bad. Like I've I've died twice in this game, and it was in the same battle. Um, it's when you go through the subway, you go through the subway tunnels. At one point, you have to fight two flamethrower guys and two missile launchers, and I got destroyed. The, the first, like, the first time anyone in my party even died in the whole game. And I got destroyed, and I was like, what the hell? So I tried it again, and I got destroyed again, and I tried it again, and I burned through them without any problem. And I don't know what I did differently. You probably didn't do anything. I have no idea. It's just the AI of the enemies. They didn't go into a certain routine. You didn't end up cornered. In I mean, I mean, and I mean, my life bar went gone. Like, I died in, like, 30 seconds. And then the, sec the third time I tried it, I don't know if they adjust the difficulty because I was sucking so much or something, but, like, I didn't do anything that I could discern differently, and I just steamrolled them this time, and I don't know what was different. So, to me, that is 
a weak a weak combat design. If I, not not necessarily that I that I died and had to retry it, but the fact that I don't know why I succeeded after I failed twice. I don't get it. Um, no, and maybe that would be clearer moving forward in these later later part of the game that Mitch is talking about, where you have to like really dig into that idea of 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 you know rock paper scissors on these things. But I don't I don't see what else can be really introduced except more elements of things, and that doesn't make it interesting to me. To me, it just makes me want to go to sleep. Now I should mention things that I like about this game because overall I actually do like this game. I I'm not like you, Matt. I I, I am enjoying playing it. I think the pacing of the game is good. Uh, to me, there isn't a ton of downtime in the game. And I think overall, the visuals are pretty. I just don't think that they're up to upper echelon quality. And I think I can see in the visuals that this game has been under, under development for quite a while. Um, and it's not an excuse. It's not, um, I'm not trying to let it off the hook. But in all honesty, this game has probably been in development for a really long time. And time isn't kind to technology in general. Um, so I, I am enjoying the story. I think they do a great job with the characters in the game. Um, I love Barrett. Uh, the writing for Barrett is amazing. Uh, most of the voice acting in the game is really good. Um, I, I think Charlie Sheen might be uh, suing Square Enix for royalties, though. That one character is so obviously just a, a ripoff of him. Even the voice actor sounds like Charlie Sheen. I mean, he was probably the one character that I didn't resonate with all that much. But everybody else, man, I really like. Is this Sheen. the guy on the motorcycle? Or? No, the dude with the headband. And he, I mean, he looks like Charlie Sheen. He's oh, the Turks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Sid. yeah, Sid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it may be Charlie Sheen voicing him. It sounds a lot like him and looks a whole hell of a lot like him. Um, so I like the pacing. The boss fights, to me, are the best part of the game. Um, and the good news is... At first, there aren't that many. The longer I've played the game, they started to pick up, which oh, is good. Oh, you see nothing yet, Shane. Those yeah, I know. I mean, I've played Final Fantasy, so I know the last third of the game is just going to be one boss fight after another. That's how they work. And, and, but, they're, and they're just as detailed like you're like you're going into. So Yeah, the boss fights, are to me, are the best part of this game. And like Matt said, because they do actually take some thinking, some planning, some forethought. They actually require you to use the other characters in your party that's another thing that Matt touched on earlier that I want to reiterate is that your party members in a lot of cases are just along for the ride. Um, I generally just play as Cloud and I only switch to other characters when Cloud is like trapped by an enemy or when I need to use a very specific ability that that character has. Like Barrett needs to shoot a turret that's up high or you need a very specific elemental spell to stagger an enemy or something like that. But otherwise, like they're just kind of these people that run around and and you know, drop voice samples here and there. Um, but I am having like fun. Donald and Goofy. Yeah, really. you're right. Actually, um, I am enjoying the game though. I, I'm having a good time. I I do agree that it this game is padded. Um, the extra stuff that they've added in the in between zones of the stuff where you actually from the original game, they don't really add much to the game at all to me. They just they just keep flooding rooms with enemies, and uh, you keep killing them. Another thing that impresses me in this game is the enemy variety. There are a lot of different enemy types in this game. After coming off like Doom Eternal, and in honesty, a lot of other games where you have like that pack of like five or six enemy types that you fight over and over, and then your mini bosses and your bosses. Like this game just has a metric ton of different enemies to fight. Now, I I would argue a lot of them don't present all that much of a different strategy to have to fight them, even airborne enemies because you can lock on 
even if you're playing a character that uses a melee weapon, they'll fly like 90 feet into the air and attack. So you don't even need like to use Barret to attack most of the airborne enemies. You'll just fly up into the air and do it. Um, so I am enjoying the game. I am going to, I believe, finish the game, provided it doesn't change drastically uh, in the near future. Um, I'm more than halfway through it at this point, so I feel pretty secure that it's not going to completely upend the apple cart. Um, but I, I am having fun with to, the because we definitely should do a spoiled on this one. Like this one is definitely warranted one. So I would commend, please, guys, finish this because I would love to have I'll a conversation with sure. you once you're done with it. There's also I mean, I would, a lot left to play after this. Week. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, I would still say it is the best Final Fantasy since twelve. Um, what up? Not that I haven't. I'm not counting the MMOs because I don't really. I like it more than fifteen. Oh yeah, I like. I've had. I've had dentist appointments of like more than fifteen. Um, <laughs> well, I actually kind of enjoyed fifteen, and but I don't, I don't like much stuff. I like twelve, and I like six, and that's about it. Like nine is pretty good, but like I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan, but I do think this is an improvement over the original seven. Yeah. Um, but the reason we're really good digging into this game is because this game has got some perfect scores from around the yeah, internet, which is crazy. So, and, and look, it I'm not going to say someone's wrong or that anything like that, but I think as a viewer, you're like, okay. I've read these reviews that gave it a perfect 10, or I watched this video review that gave it a perfect 10. Is it a perfect game? Um, and that's what we answer in our discussions. Is it? No. To me, hell no. Hell no. no. But I'm having can, a lot of fun with it, but it's definitely not a perfect score in any capacity. Uh, but I'm really, really enjoying the game. Um, I did like 15 as well, Shane. Um, actually, it's probably one of my favorites because I tend to. Well, like, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, I would say that only I'd because, liked it more than Matt did. Well, I'll put I, it to I, you that way. I guess. Yeah. For me, it's just I really like uh, from going from I'm not a big fan of turn based. So for me, this is the the. I think it's a great meld between turn-based and not where you, I know you said it, you felt like the combat sometimes got broken up when you're pausing. I originally, when I played the demo, I felt like that, but as I've been playing this game, I actually do like doing that occasionally, especially when it comes to healing and doing things like that, because it allows me well, to, you think have to do it. Well, yeah, but uh, it also allows me to think strategically in those moments of like, okay, I need a minute. I need to breathe. This guy's hammering on my people. I need to figure out what I'm going to do from here. And those moments kind of allow me to have that moment to be able to read, readjust. And uh, I, I think that's an illusion, though. I mean, the, well, that guy pounding on your head, it just doesn't matter. Well, because of, <laughs> He's good, that, that character is going to live. And no matter what you do, it's going to be there. And if even if it dies, as soon as you kill the last enemy, it's going to pop right back up. Like... I get what you're saying, but there's just no consequence to it. Like, it's like something you have to make up in your mind while you're playing the game, because in reality, it's just, that's just not the way it is. Like, I don't know. I don't feel a lot of consequence playing this game in general, I guess, other than what's tied well, into the story. Well, I guess you could probably say that because we know what the story is. I yeah, mean, I mean, I know I how think, it's ultimately going to end. That, and I think part of the discussion, that has been something I've been thinking about when you guys were talking about the filler, is would you be feeling this way because you know the story? And I feel as if from someone that just experienced Final Fantasy VII only a few years ago, I think my I was playing it with my uh, roommate who loves Final Fantasy. So he's been helping me kind of understand what was in the original, what wasn't in the original, what did they adjust and change. And 
we kind of have differing opinions slightly because of that reason. He's like, well, because I already know what happens. This filler doesn't really mean much to me because uh, it's not getting to the areas that I really wanted to see in the game. And for someone I mean, like that's me, not that's, wasn't my perspective at all. I just think that the content isn't particularly... Yeah, <laughs> I haven't played the original. I haven't played the original game since 2001. Yeah, like, I haven't either. Yeah, I, 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 don't, like I, don't know, I do not know the story of Final Fantasy VII like the back of my hand or anything. I just recognize as I'm playing this game that a ton of what's happening is completely irrelevant narratively. Like, it, it doesn't need to be there to get you to where the story needs to go. Not because I know where the story's going, but because it's just tap dancing. I think they make good character moments in those in those times to be able to have when the big moments happen, they really make their impact. Um, Here and there, but I just think yeah, I would have I would be more forgiving of it if it didn't spend so much time making me walk incredibly slowly down narrow hallways as these people talked all the time. Like it's just the the it's it's this. That's the between, most modern thing about the game. Matt. It's the but it's, it's a friction between like these this high level production value graphics. and this is like it's this this just dishwater dull presentation. Like I don't want to follow Tifa through another goddamn alley. Like I don't want to have to wiggle through another set of crates while Barrett says funny things. Like why can't you just have Barrett say funny things while I walk at a normal speed? You know, like, it, well, if I did have to follow one character, it would be Tifa. <laughs> uh, the final thing I just want to say from collecting the B-roll to do the, the survival guide, I will say that, you know, when I was collecting it, there is a lot of cutscenes in this game. And oh, when yeah. you, once I've you, recorded on this hard drive yeah. right here like three hours of cutscenes. Um, and I probably so, have to delete them all, but yeah. For someone going into this game, that is something that this this a majority of this game is a cutscene and Yeah, you the, watch it almost as it, much as you play. Yeah, but exactly. that's true of the original as well. So Yeah, I mean that's expected, I would think. Yeah. It's so, a Square Enix game. Yeah, it's, uh, honestly, I think it's better when I'm watching, watching a lot it. Of it. <laughs> Some people might feel that way, for sure. I'd rather watch someone else play it at this point, really. Yeah. I'm okay. like, I'll just come back when you're done with the dungeon. Tell me when the cutscene starts. <laughs> uh, so we got to wrap it up. Um, final recommendation. Would you recommend people buy it, Matt? Um, I don't know. Ask me when I finish it, I guess. A toughie. Like, okay. I, 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 guess, I guess I would at least say play the demo. If it's still there, yeah. I think it is. Is it? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, I would agree with that because if you play the demo and you like it, you're going to like the rest of the game. If you don't like it, you're not going to like the rest of the yeah, game. Yeah, it's not. you're, you're not going to change your mind, probably. It's not very different from the demo at all, really, as you play more. What about no, you? The, the only downside is you'd have to play that part of the game over again yeah. on the final version. Yeah, which was a little annoying, I'll admit. I mean, <laughs> what about just, you? There was only one small adjustment to the with, with the demo. Um I I would disagree with you guys saying that if you didn't like the demo, you won't like this game because once you get later in the game, the combat really um, expands. So for me, I think it, I, 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 I still I struggle to understand that. Where how does it expand? It expands because of understanding your enemies more. It, it's really but you're still no, you're still just scanning, finding out what their elemental weakness when, is, and then, then attacking when, it. But when they're not, you have to figure it out on your own. And that is where. So you try the lightning spell; it doesn't work. You try the fire spell; it does or doesn't work. That I mean, that's I, I don't okay. know. Anyway, that's not anyway. something you commend. To also, that, it's, it sounds a little it sounds a little too much like the Final Fantasy thirteen thing, where it's like it gets really good thirty hours in thing. Like once yeah. you get through the linear part and you get the grand pulse, like then it opens up. I'm like, yeah, but now I'm forty hours into a game I didn't enjoy. Like yeah. well, that, I I, that that is no longer. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm not saying it's as bad as Final Fantasy thirteen, but I'm just saying. 
an RPG used to hook you from the first hour. Like you can't just be like, oh, it gets way better like 15 hours in because that's not. That's fair. It's not a good game. No, that's, that's fair. Uh, I would say if you're a huge fan of Final Fantasy, this is one you're definitely going to want to pick up, um, especially because of what happens. Um, I'm surprised things have not come out about this game. Um, I'm sure they have. It's, you just don't go places. No, I, have, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. Well, no, I haven't. I Twitter is full of assholes. I haven't seen anything that, that Mitch told me before the show. I haven't seen anything about it mentioned anywhere. So score one either, for gamers. Either Mitch finished it way ahead of everybody else, or everyone's being surprisingly polite. Well, which is, could be possible and, that Mitch finished it before everyone else. Well, Australia and Europe did get this game a week early, so that's why I'm yeah. surprised this news yeah. has not came out. I mean, the about truth this is, game. most people haven't finished it, and that's why this stuff hasn't started circulating yet. But it will. Yeah. But if you, yeah, if you're not a fan of Final Fantasy, I don't think you'll like this game. I will say that I wouldn't. If you if Final Fantasy fifteen infuriated you and you wanted to write the series off, you might want to give this one a shot and see if it rekindles you a little bit. Because I do think, as many flaws and weirdness elements that I have, but uh, any complaints that I have about this, it does feel like it's more back on track for the series than anything since probably twelve. Like okay. uh, thirteen, I, I mean, and it does have the problem of the linearity that thirteen did. But thirteen also had the problem that every single character in that entire game was garbage. Uh, and at least you can be pulled through the linear story in this game by some very well done character work, which uh, I never thought I'd be saying about the Final Fantasy VII cast. But here we are; they did it. Yeah, that's, that's a great part of the game. I actually do recommend buying Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, it's a big game. You're going to get your money's worth. It's very well paced. There's not a lot of downtime. Um, I think in particular, if you haven't played the original, I would recommend this game to you more than people who have. Um, because you're not going to realize that they're padding stuff in the middle. You're just like, I'm fighting the next monster. Um, so I think there is going to be kind of different perspectives. As somebody who did play the Final Fantasy VII, the original, I am disappointed in this remake. I really thought it was going to be more... It does feel like an old game to me. It's very linear. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get lost. You're never going to wonder what to do. And some people like it that way. And I think True. I think the majority of people like it that way. And so Here's the I thing I kept thinking about about this with um, like talking, thinking about like the future installments coming out whenever they come. You know, whenever those happen to show up. You know, whenever the idea that eventually if they do two more, I guess you know you'll theoretically have a complete game. And I kept thinking, like, oh, when that finally happens, like eight years from now, to like we do, you know, to do like a full playthrough, I cannot imagine ever playing this again. That's what I was just gonna say. I cannot imagine ever going because it goes back to what I was saying about like not being able to granularly build a character. You can't make like there's no incentive to play this again and like create a completely different character who's a spellcaster with you know like. That's just not what this game is. The changes you can make to your character are very subtle. Um, in a lot of cases, I don't even really notice them unless they're changes that actually give you a new attack or a new ability. It's things that like actually like buff like your attack power or your defense. Like the next time I go into a fight, I don't notice them. So uh, it's, I think it's the RPG for people who only kind of like RPGs. That's the way I would put it. And you slather on the, the Final Fantasy VII mythos over top of it, I would recommend for most people to buy the game at full price at $60. Even if you only do play it once and you get 30 or 40 hours out of it, totally worth it. Um, and, I, you know, I look back at some of the more recently released games like Resident Evil 3 Remake. I would buy this game 
50 times over before I bought Resident Evil 3 Remake for 60 bucks. So I know we sounded like we were harsh on it, but I think part of the reason they kind of went that angle is that there are so many people just gushing over this game all over the place that sometimes I feel like we need to be the voice of reason in the storm. And sometimes that's what Game Face does. I mean, we always tell the truth. And sometimes you want to hear it and sometimes you don't. Um, But overall, this game is good. And I would recommend buying it at full price, particularly... Um, if you're a Final Fantasy fan or if you're someone who likes light RPG elements but does not like getting bogged down by a lot of the tropes of the genre. If you do beat the game, you do unlock a hard mode. That's another thing you do get. I would never replay- do that. For replayability for that. people. That, that is the opposite of tempting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like if it unlocked an easier mode, maybe I would play it again, but not a more difficult one. So, uh, all right. So that's two buys and uh, not sure yet from Game Face on the Final Fantasy VII Remake. So there you go. Despite the conversation getting testy and us all having issues, well, I don't know if Mitch actually had any issues with it, but Matt and I, I certainly did. I think did. it's just a fine game. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's, fin- I think there are a couple elements that are really well done, but it's just a fine game. I don't think it's horrible in, in any, it's not horrible in any area, but it's not, I think I, I could agree with that. It's maybe not a, for me, in my mind, I would give this like an eight point five, may an eight point five in my brain out of ten. That's it's still I a pretty it. solid seven to me. Yeah, which is I'd which is a compliment it. for Final Fantasy the last couple of installments. So I think I'd end up in the middle of you two guys actually. <laughs> I tell you what would what would boost it up more for me is if they weren't still doing that thing that I complained about in so many. Square games in particular, but also just general Japanese RPGs. Stop making your three your three dimensional photo real characters act like anime characters. Like, do, and I don't mean like 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 in a general sense. I mean doing the weird like posing and the weird like comedy anime gag things. Like it doesn't work, and it's it just absurd. It's for it, five year olds. Well, that and also like it it all that behavior, all that those tropes come from a two D animated medium and when you try to translate that into a three-dimensional thing that can't skip keyframes and can't it just looks weird and creepy and just sort of off-putting and all you're doing is limiting the audience by making it seem so strange there's no reason not to have naturalistic behavior in these games at this point it feels so out of place every time it happens all right we gotta call it there no more no more no more we 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 have reached the limit we're at three hours we have to take a couple questions from people before we get out of here uh, I do want to thank some people who have subscribed via Twitch Prime during the show. Um, appreciate it very much. Let me see if I can find some here in the chat. I know I saw a couple. Uh, Davil124, thank you for Twitch Prime. That's freaking awesome. Um, Rosencrans, thank you. Your tier one subscription. That's freaking awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, let's get to a couple questions. Here's one from Commander Fett 3 uh, what do you think about the rumors of Capcom remaking Resident Evil 4? Uh, I don't know if you really need to do that beyond like upresing the existing game. Like, yeah. I get why you remake two and three because they were, you know, ancient, pre rendered ancient games. I feel like four could stand a remaster at most, really. Yeah. I, I don't, why mess with perfection? It's literally like the perfect action game. Like, no, don't touch it. Like, sure. Redo the textures, redo the character models again if you want to. Um, touch up some of the cinematics if you want to. Sure, I'm okay with that. You don't need to touch anything else. Everything else is literally perfect. So 
I mean, I understand why Capcom's doing it because it knows it can squeeze yet another $200 million out of that same game. Oh, it would be a very lucrative choice, yes. Yeah, so I know why it's doing it. I just don't agree with it, and I don't think it's necessary. Um, for that game specifically, I uh, I think they, um, they've already released HD remasters plenty of times over. Like, I, if they're going to remake the game, remake the game, and I think adding... You know, the way they've done movement, you know, shooting and walking would be kind of nice in that game. And it could change up the gameplay completely, especially with the villagers. So they're not walking up, stop, walk a little slower so you can shoot them. I think that could improve gameplay and, you know, intensify the intensity of being in a village of you don't know what the hell's going on. Okay. Um, SJD Swanlin with the leaks regarding the upcoming remake of Resident Evil 4 and how long it's been in development and how long it still will be. How much of a change do you think it will be over the original? Uh, we pretty much answered that already. People want to know about RE4. Um, Minority Games, how long until the next Final Fantasy VII game? <laughs> at least two go, years. Remember, people, go at Sifted Games in chat for us to answer your question. i say at least two years, probably three. Oh, it's... No, I'd say like five. I'm saying three. Yeah, I think it's going to be a while. No, I think it's long. Two or three is reasonable if they aren't reinventing the tech wheel and just, but I, I really keep wondering if one of the reasons they cut this off where they cut it off is because they didn't want to have to figure out how to do an open world with this engine yet. It's possible. Very possible. Assuming that you even do that. I mean, I, part of me will not be surprised if this series, if this remake, even in the next subsequent entries never does an open world of, of the world of, of the whole planet. And just, you just kind of go from linear city to linear location over and over. And like, maybe you get a big, world map where you pick the location to go to, but you're never actually wandering the world in an airship or anything like that. Yep. Uh, next one from a bunch of jerks. Great name. Uh, whenever a remake comes out, I always feel compelled to play the original to get a better appreciation for what they changed. I did that for RE3. Do you think I should for Final Fantasy? Great question. I mean, depends how much time you got. <laughs> like, that's a long no. game. <laughs> I would say no. Like, it's I mean, a huge just, game. If you just played Midgard, you could do that. Yeah, I guess you could just play there. disc one. Yeah, because you'd end up spoiling the rest of the remake if you play all of Final Fantasy VII now. Maybe. It might be just time to bite the bullet and just play the remake. Or like they suggested, just play the very the same section of the original. That's I would play the remake first. Yeah. And then if you're still interested, go back and play disc one of the original. And my guess is you'll get about two hours into that game and you'll stop. Actually, <laughs> you've played Matt the remake that, and after finishing the game, I would recommend that fin do the remake first, then go play final fantasy seven. Okay. Uh, ETH demon 2k announced a new XCOM game coming out April 24th. You control a mixed group of humans and aliens. It's also being sold for $10. What's your take? How do I not know about this? Do they say that today? That's news to me. It must be announced today. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't heard about it. I'll look into it, but for 10 bucks, more XCOM sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, sold. <laughs> I don't even have to really know what the game is. If it's more XCOM for 10 bucks, I'm there. I'm in. Totally in. Uh, I was always hoping they'd kind of go into the terror from the deep at some point in the, in the modern stuff. Because yeah. I always like that underwater Lovecraft stuff. Rosencrans, thank you for the bits, bro. Also, thank you to all you guys who uh, contributed to the hype train today. I, I, like, right out of the gate, it looked like we hit, like, level three, and then I got caught up in the conversation and kind of missed it. So, but thank you, guys. Uh, here's the last question. Uh, from Lazily Diligent, also a good name. 
Can esports take this is a good one. Can esports take advantage of this live content vacuum and steal a larger market share? Well, lazily, they're certainly trying. It is not for a lack of trying. I'm sure you saw the NBA 2K Real NBA Players Tournament. They had oh, they had a NASCAR uh-huh. iRacing event. And what happened to the NASCAR iRacing event? One of their drivers dropped an end bomb live on the stream. And now he's lost all his sponsors and he's been banned Damn. by NASCAR. So is it a good thing that these athletes... Because that's what happens when you do that in legitimate sports too. <laughs> it's not some kind of weird esports oversensitivity thing. No. It ain't tolerated. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I found that funny. The, the general consensus around the NBA 2K stuff is the sports people hate it. <laughs> if you listen to sports talk right now, they hate it because they know that it could replace them and they could have no jobs. The, all the people who work in sports right now are freaking out because think about it. And now even myself, who at one, one time thought about being a sports journalist, none of these people can work. And they may not be able to work for a really long time. So they're yeah. becoming very defensive about sports. And so this esports stuff, they are slamming it every chance they get. But I realize this wasn't your question. You're asking us what we think about it. And I think generally the sports stuff isn't going to work. I think if they put some of the non-sports, purely because of all the people who are on the networks it's airing on, or bad-mouthing it and telling people not to watch it. Now, I do think if you started getting some of the stuff like League or Overwatch or Call of Duty Warzone or Apex Legends, you start getting that in front of some eyeballs here during this down period, and this down period is going to go on for a while, if you get start getting in front of those eyeballs, I think you could maybe get some traction. What do you think, Matt? It's possible. Um, I mean, the other downside of it is like, even if it did get some traction, there's nothing we can do about it because you still can't really have gatherings to do more esports stuff either. Yep, they're um, out of content too. Yeah, so I think you know right now they're just sort of throwing things at the wall. They're airing what they can of that. They're also re-airing classic actual sports games. The thing about like this, like people freaking out about it replacing sports or whatever is ridiculous because you're never going to replace the idea, the, the the experience of watching a human being do something amazing. And granted, some of the things people do in esports is amazing but in a different way, but the athleticism of this stuff is never going to go away. So I don't think they need to be worried about that. They need to be worried about when we're allowed to go to a stadium again. Yeah. And um, most people don't even recognize when great things happen in esports. I mean, I can watch League of Legends esports as a League of Legends player, and there's still stuff that just goes, yeah. whoosh. Like the announcers start getting all blah, and the crowd starts going. I'm like, what? 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 I don't know what's going on. I'm missing something. Something awesome's happening. I don't know what it is. The worst thing for that ever was a StarCraft tournament I watched, and like people kept freaking out when things. I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't know. I, nothing happened. I don't know what I'm looking at. That's <laughs> funny. Oh, you know what? We'll have we'll answer one bonus question. Wait, for I, I do have game. one little thing to put in there. ESPN has been really nervous as well because they have asked their top sportscasters to take pay cuts. And as long yeah. with their executives mm. as well. So I think that also has to do with their nervousness about everything because oh, the whole sports industry right now is losing it. They are freaking out. The only thing I'm, that is saving sports right now is the NFL. Like literally, I think the draft have, is going to happen yep, still. Draft happening. Uh, ESPN and NFL Network are combining for that. So there is some yeah. movement there, but even two networks can't do their own cast. They have to it's combine. Crazy. That's that's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. All right, one bonus question. Do you think a five-plus years cycle for game development is viable for the future of gaming? With 4K and 8K coming, how can companies make games faster when 4K and 8K will make development even longer? Um, I think you only really need to worry about that in the AAA space, which already is kind of on that sort of a cycle in the most in most cases. Yeah. So uh, I think it clearly does work. Yep, I'd agree. I'd and agree. 8K is a long way off. Like, let's not worry about 8K. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it may never be here. Probably not. And for 8K to matter, your TV needs to be the size of your wall. So mm. <laughs> really, I don't see 8K becoming a thing. Yeah, let's see if the new consoles can get 4K running you know, reliably at a decent frame rate, and then 8K can be 10 years from now. I don't even think 4K has that much work anymore because they've been building, they've been creating textures in 4K for a couple of years mm-hmm. now. Um, I don't think that the next generation is going to add much development time other than the developers getting over the hump of working with the actual hardware. So, look, some studios like Naughty Dog and Rockstar, they're going to take seven or eight years to make each game. Some studios are going to take two or three years. I think that's going to continue. And the only yeah. way you can offload that is basically just have enough studios to be able to constantly be coming out with content. Stagger your releases, yeah. yeah exactly. It's pretty much what Naughty Dog has done and Insomniac has done. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Sony's figured it out, pretty much. Microsoft yeah. could stand to figure it out a little quicker than they have been, but I don't think you're dealing with... A lot of the new developers they bought are not in the Naughty Dog kind of headspace. They're they're not, not to disparage them, but they're just not that. They're, they're double A, maybe, not triple A. Yep. Yet. All right, that's going to do it for Game Phase 207 here on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Thanks to everybody who's been on the chat asking great questions as always. Thanks for all the bits. Thanks for the Twitch Prime. You guys are awesome. You rock. Without you, we would be nothing. I'm Shane Satterfield. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. You can find Matt Kyle at M-K-E-I-L. And you can find Mitch at Mitch Secor. Uh a reminder to follow Sifted Games on Twitter as well, at Sifted Games. Uh, if you're a Twitch Prime subscriber or you're just a YouTube fan, you get all the announcements when all the new content goes live there. And if you're an Apple podcast or a Google podcast listener, please head on over to patreon.com slash sifted and kick us a couple bucks a month for all the entertainment we've been giving you guys. So we'll just keep improving this show. I think this is better than last week. I think the audio and the video is better. I think the graphics are better. Um, as we settle into this new reality, we're going to keep improving and making sure that the, uh, the show is up to scratch for you guys. So thanks again to everyone on the stream. Thanks for everyone for all the support. We'll see you next week. Game Face is up and out.